I, I, I kind of I like to talk about this as having a compost heap in the back of my brain, uh-huh. right? So I'll get an idea, uh, and sometimes that idea will be for the mechanics of a game uh, that's in search of a uh, setting, search of a theme, something like that. Uh, and I'll start working on it, and I'll slap a theme on it, and nothing, something about it isn't working right. So I throw it on the compost heap. It's not discarded. It's just going to yep. sit there. Something might grow. There are just some people I can talk to for hours, and Epi was one of those people. We cover his horror game Dread and a lot more. Wait until you hear about his concept of playstorming. There's a good chance you've never heard of Monkey Dome, but after this episode, that's all you're going to want to play. Swords Without Masters has an origin I never expected, and we talk about what it means to find the voice when you're creating a game. You also learn about the iterations that led to the any award-winning game Dread. Make sure you stick around to the end to hear about a sword duel system that Epi is in love with, and I can't wait to check it out. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Epi. You stand over the dead bodies of all the demons you just slayed in this room without breaking a sweat only to discover that the door is locked. Okay, you, roll lockpicking. Ooh, no, okay, um, how about you roll strength to break it down? Uh, um, that's a fail too. Uh, you're stuck. Crap. Hi, I'm Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Kristen O'Neill, and you're watching Disney Channel. (laughs) (laughs) And when we're not making Thin Places Radio, we are listening to Tabletop Talk. See you there. Okay, well, perfect. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Got it, one. (laughs) Howdy, friends. Craig here. Today, we're talking to Epidiah Ravishal, a game designer and author known for Dread, the horror role-playing game that uses Jenga and his source and sorcery fiction, which can be found at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. He and fellow game designer Emily Kerr Boss live in a prehistoric lake bed in western Massachusetts, where they tend to the needs of the sole survivor of a loss constellation of space wizards. Epi, welcome to the third floor. Well, thank you for having me. I love it when I get creative and uh um introductions from guests that's good <laughs> i guess the first question i have to ask is do you in fact live in a lake bed yeah it's uh where where we are is uh, was a prehistoric lake bed uh, it's not currently although occasionally my basement is in fact <laughs> something of a lake bed um yeah uh, we're beh- between two mountain ranges it you know western massachusetts mountain ranges so don't don't go thinking like right the Rockies or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm from, uh, I'm up from upstate New York in uh, like the Scandalous Finger Lakes area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so if we have the glacial lakes there, obviously that were formed during the retreat and uh, you know, yeah, the uh, Adirondack mountains are not the Rocky mountains, but they're mountains. No, and they're big. They're, they're decent. Yeah. yeah. And I've been, been to your part of the world there too. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty. So, yeah, well. so pretty. I mean, I have nothing to do with that, but I appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> Don't you like how we say that, right? Yeah. Like, well, you're welcome, Craig. I had it all set up for yeah. you. <laughs> um, so before we get started and, and and understand that this is obviously a podcast. So mm-hmm. I when I do these interviews, we, we're on video right now, which our audience can't uh, 
uh, completely appreciate. But for those of you listening, uh, when Epi came on the screen for us to start doing it, I saw that he had like a store rack of comic books behind oh, yeah. him. And the, <laughs> the level of envy, Epi, I have for you right now, I cannot even describe to you. I don't know why. Like, I just think it's so cool when I see like people have like store racks and then they have their comic books stored in there. So uh, uh, let's start there. Have you always been a comic book fan? Yeah, um, I back in my high school days, so several decades ago, <laughs> I used to work at a comic book store. So, oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I have a I have a great love for uh, comics. I I fell out of collecting them for quite a few years because, I mean, you know, we all have our financial ups and downs <laughs> yeah. and it is not a cheap hobby and no. it doesn't get cheaper. No, um, I got priced out. Um, you know, and part of it is because I'm an old dude. So I remember, you know, 55 cent Marvel comic books, you know, and man, I, and I would love to love going to the comic book stores and I would go like two, three years between visits as I became an adult and like when I started seeing four or five bucks for those damn things. And I hate sounding like that guy, but I'm kind of that guy. It's just like, it's uh, tough. And like, um, I have nephews that are really, really into comics and, and, uh, um, I now, I mean, now I'm of the age where I'm like, I'll just wait till it's collected and then uh, yeah. pick it up then. But um, this rack large, I mean, there's some new stuff on the rack. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time focusing on the rack, but uh, the whole purpose for getting this rack was that uh, when we got, well, actually it was after we got married, but before we moved into this place, which we have now, um, my comic collection had been stored like at my parents' house with friends, you know, like it was right. you know, moving around and it all kind of came back to us when we moved into this house. Cause we'd have the room for it. And then my wife, Emily has had her own comic collection. So we combined them, we alphabetized them. We put them all out on the floor so we could wow. see what they were, took pictures, made my nephews very envious uh, and then stored them in the wall behind me. <laughs> And we, so like it like like a crawl space or yeah so i mean it's very apt that this is uh the third floor because i'm literally on the third floor of my <laughs> so house right now so, yeah <laughs> so i would say you kind of know what this is this is i've got an attic yeah. uh that's finished and so that's the part of the roof that doesn't you know got meet it. up directly with the, and so there's like a little crawl space that we store things in cool and the rack is is there so that we we rotate it or we try and rotate stuff so that we have like the old comics out that we pick up and read from time to time. Ah, that's you so know, cool. yeah, just kind of like, um, but yeah, this whole I, I mean, I'm not gonna again, we're not on video, so I'm not gonna do the 360. But this is this is our gaming floor, yeah. Uh, and so I've just got largely board games over there, a bunch of role playing games over there, some role playing games, and like it's. This is the room I dreamt of having when I was a kid. And so do you realize like literally you're me right now? Because that's yeah. exactly what happened here. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so my wife and I are looking for a house and I work from home. I have for the majority of my career, not just when it became trendy. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're looking around and, you know, I said to her, um, look, you know, it'd be good for me to have my own space for work. And. And this was this is masterful on my part. <laughs> you know how you see all my gaming shit everywhere? Yeah. If there was a place you didn't have to go to <laughs> where you would never have to see it again. So we ended up finding a place that had a refinished third floor to it. And that's where that's where all of this comes from. So that's fantastic. 
I mean, that that's what sold us on this. We, when we came to this house, it was for an open house. Okay, so Western Massachusetts, these houses are old. Mm-hmm. Like our house is probably a, a little over 100, probably wow. probably around the 1900s is when, when it was uh, 1900-ish, not like 1997. <laughs> right. um, but... Uh, and, it, you know, it had gone through several renovations and things be- between then and when it got to us. But a lot of these houses have very short ceilings, yeah. like the tall ceilings, tall enough ceilings on the first floor. But go so and I'm six, three. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Whenever we go into a, when we were shopping, whenever we went into a house, first thing I did was go up to the second floor <laughs> because I would just you don't want to fall in love with a kitchen yep. or something like that. And then. So we went up to the second floor and uh, it was plenty high and whatever. And we just turned the corner and we saw that there were stairs going up again. And we're like, all right, we'll, we'll start at the attic and work our way down. Let's, we, we expect it kind of a hot, you know, whatever. But no, this the whole attic is one room and they were using it as a as a master bedroom. Oh, so wow. That, you know, they had a bed here they, and then they had like exercise equipment and, and whatnot. It was, you know, the length of the house. Yeah. And and uh, we both were like, this is our gaming room. So this, <laughs> like, like, this is it. This is what's happening. So uh, which great. is which is weird because, I mean, I have a I have a deep nostalgia for gaming in basements. Right. And uh, but I think this is the better option out of the two. Like if I had to decide now, but I still have a very deep fondness for basement gaming. I I think I I think one of the best ways for me to describe and I'll be interested if you can relate to this. One of the best ways for me to describe maybe the last 15 or 20 years of my life is adult Craig with adult money satisfying 12 year old Craig who had no money. (laughs) You know, like I see a game and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Or I see that. Yeah, I'll buy that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been like a, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're the promises you make yourself when you're a kid that you forget, but you fulfill. And then there's the promises that you make yourself. And when you grow up, you're like, no kid, you're not getting that. That's not happening. Um, and it's been interesting seeing how those, how those pan out. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. So, uh, Abby, I'm going to give you the question that every podcaster has ever asked you, but I'm going to try mm-hmm. to phrase it a little bit differently, which is there was a day you knew nothing about tabletop gaming. You didn't know you could grab a sheet of paper, write a bunch of stuff down, roll some dice and pretend to be somebody else. And then that day came. So I'd like mm-hmm. to go back to the first day you just came across it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, OK. Yes. <clears throat> well, I was in a basement as <laughs> As we've established. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm trying to think of how old I was. I, I l- was born in Ohio. Okay. And I moved to Wisconsin for the sixth grade. So that's what, that's like 12 years old, right? It's 12 or 13, somewhere yeah. in there. Sure. Let's say that. I, I don't, I don't exactly remember, but, um, and then that summer uh, we drove back to Ohio to visit with friends. And so this is like, um, it was an interesting time because it's an interesting age. A lot of growing up happens over that year when you're, you know, going between 11 and 12 or 12 and 13 or whatever. Uh, And 
uh, it, you know, it was vaguely traumatic for me. Like I didn't expect to move. It wasn't like, I mean, it was a relatively decent speaking. move. Yeah. 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 Like we, uh, it was a good move uh, mm-hmm. for the family and everything, but yeah, it's it, moving is not necessarily easy. Although like I got addicted to it uh, <laughs> later on, I just couldn't stop. But at this point um, I went back to visit some friends and uh, we had uh, a friend of mine from the neighborhood and then another friend of mine who was from like a neighborhood over who this, this guy, he was important because he had an older brother and it's always, always key. Yeah. So he was the vector to like heavy metal, like, like VHS copies of V. I don't know if you remember the V. Mo- yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, it, like, when it was broadcasting live, I remember yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just like all sorts of forbidden right. tr- stuff. Right. Like, and, and, and all the stuff that we just we just want it like and rated uh, our movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was at my friend's house. He, the, the friend in the neighborhood who had a basement apartment, like like his bedroom was the basement. Um, I shouldn't say apartment. He was a twelve year old kid. Uh, but he, his bedroom was in the basement, and they had kind of they had a finished basement. And I remember being down there and. My friend Matt shows up and first of all, here's a little, well, I got to I'm going to, I'm going to be share some, uh, like 30, 40 year old embarrassment here, <laughs> okay. uh, because there's, there's a shift, right? Like we're going to play, we're about to play pretend, right? We know right. this, the setup is that I'm going to play a role playing game. However, I'm coming from an age where we played pretend with like stuffed animals yep. and, I brought stuffed animals to because that's what we played with. Like that was the thing. And I mean, like we played, you know, like we did, we cut them open and do surgery on oh, them sure, and stuff sure. like that. But still I brought my, so I'm there with my stuffed animal and my friend, Matt, who's, who's older brother isn't there, but is like the, the source of everything that's cool. A deeply embarrassed. <laughs> and Matt brings out TSR's, Conan, right? There's a TSR had a Conan role playing game in the mid 80s. And we sat down and we made characters for that game. And we never played near as I can remember. Right. I don't I think we just made characters. We just kind of learned about how everything works and and uh, or, you know, but that moment, the the making of the characters and just thinking we're going to be these. Yeah. These, you know, like this is this is the story we're going to tell. Uh, this is the story we're going to tell, and we're going to do it through these these rules, right? Like yeah. these guidelines. Yeah, I don't even know what it is about the rules that's important, but I could feel it, right? Like there yep. was something in it that, and uh, that blew my mind. Left the next day, car ride back. We're in this van, this candy apple red van, Ford, uh, driving from Ohio to Wisconsin. I'm in one of the seats and uh, my brother is sitting there with me. He's a, my younger brother, two years younger than me at the time. And I have a notebook that I've opened up and I just started making rules and forcing him to play my adventure where he's like, 
like he would he's a knight on a quest of some sort and when he has to do something he has to guess the number i'm thinking of <laughs> and it doesn't matter what number i'm thinking of i'm going to decide whether or not he succeeds and i mean it's a it was a horrible you, you had quantum um, ogre figured out at a very young age <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sure it was a, i'm sure it was a, like an atrocious game uh i i bet you it was not even that great of an experience for my brother but like that was it that like i was i was uh i uh, that's all I wanted to do at that point. And what's interesting, well, sorry, I should, I, that is just a phatic change from one part of the topic <laughs> to the other. I don't know if it's actually interesting, but when we got back to Wisconsin, I was, I was like, I'm going to need to get a role-playing game. And I knew of one, right? Like, the, like, well, I knew of the, the Conan one, but right. like everyone knows D and D. So I was like, I was going to go get D and D and I went and I picked up, I, I went to a, a comic store and they had this two box sets available, the basic and the expert set. And I sat there in front of me like I skipped. My mom had given me I had some money on my own and my mom had given me some money for for like McDonald's or something like that. And I decided to skip the meal. So I had enough money to buy one of these. And I'm looking at him and I thinking to myself. Well. You've you've made characters, you've played a game that you made, you must be an expert. And so I bought the expert set. <laughs> and that's the story of how I got first introduced to a four-sided die and spent weeks trying to figure out how to roll that thing. Oh, like I had phenomenal. no idea how to read a four-sided die. It was like I mean, we had a lot of fun trying to make up rules based on what we had, but it, it was a while before I had a proper rule book um and, and a game to run. But yeah, then what's what's funny about that for me, and I've had this conversation with a couple old old farts like you and me, and uh, and it's hard for me to it's hard for some people to completely relate to it who come from a different generation. But mm -hmm. like we were little cells all over the country. Yeah. And, you know, and everybody just kind of played what they played the way they played it because someone's older brother taught them how to play it or they taught themselves on the you know drive home to Ohio or things like that. And it's incredible now, you know, just the proliferation of, of not only exposure, but information. Like if you don't know how to do something at this point, that's a, that's a choice, right? There, there's yeah. there's everything's out there. You can learn anything. Right. Um, and it, but it's a very unique experience, you know, and people like, you know, that's not how you used to play D&D. &D. It's like, well, screw you, old man. Like nobody played, right. you know, like nobody, yeah. two people played D&D &D the same way back then. So when do you think was kind of like the next um signpost in your journey as far as role-playing games was there another time where you know it had had an impact or you come across a game that maybe isn't D&D &D where you, you felt like your third eye opened or yeah I mean there's there's probably plenty of times I, um I had another friend from Ohio uh who um he got into him as well and that became like a big you know, like connection between us, we would make role playing games together whenever we, you know, went to visit and, um, and like kind of along the same lines that you were saying here, like correspondence at that time yeah. was like, even a long distance phone call cost money. So you would either like write them a letter or you would just see them once a year for yeah. a weekend or something like that. You had to fit as much as you could into it. So we would like, just spend like an entire weekend together, staying up all night, trying to write a game. Um, I, I also remember like the, like, I, 
I think I did a thread on this on Twitter uh, like a, a month or two ago about the strange places you would have to go to get role playing games. Like you get them at hobby shops, right. which were otherwise like model trains and model cars. <laughs> there was no magic to gathering, so they were yeah. far and few between. Yeah. And like there was a, a cigar shop that we would go to all the time. The, uh, Walden Books was yep. great because you can go to any mall and there'd be a Walden Books and it's somewhere in that Walden Books there would be some role playing games. Um, and I'm sure like, you know, nowadays uh, the similar experience, I know Barnes and Noble has a bunch now. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't want to say like this was unique or whatever, but it, you 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 couldn't seek out the one you wanted. You, you happened upon them. Uh, I remember. uh pouring over dragon magazine <laughs> and looking at the ads and just trying to figure out what these games, like I remember looking at, there was a, an ad for probably champions might've been villains, uh, vigilantes and villains of vigilantes. One of the early precursors to the hero system. Right. And they had a picture of their character sheet and, I, and like, what a, what a treasure, like to, to just <laughs> offer that up. So I would just spend like with all the abbreviations and everything. And I was like, what, what does con mean? Probably con, you know, like what is, you know, you're trying to figure out all these different, uh, like how, how do they build these powers? Like what, what's going on? Um, how would I fill it out? (laughs) Yeah. So you kind of spend like a long time just dreaming about games. Like you just, there's no, you can't sate that, um, the, the cycle isn't, isn't uh, as swift as it is right. today, I guess. Is. Um, but somewhere around high school, uh, we got into some like fairly regular gaming. I got a lot of gaming in in high school. We um, board games and everything like we had a whole group of friends. I had a GURPS game. GURPS supers game. Nice. In in the in the 90s, early, early, early 90s, late 80s, uh, where. uh on Saturday, like five or six of my friends would show up and we'd play. And then on Sunday, a different group of five or six friends would show up and we would play superheroes experiencing the exact same day that happened on Saturday on Sunday. And you could go, but you couldn't go to the same, like, on the you can't play twice in the same weekend, right? But you could switch between which group you were in. I just had to know before that week, oh, that's so you cool. would tell me. I at the age of who knows, like eighteen, seventeen, I burnt out like you wouldn't believe on that <laughs> because it just, I mean, like it was just so much effort uh, to to keep everything wrangled and going. Yeah. But like that, but that definitely was like uh, that's one of those things those campaigns that you dreamed about when you were a kid. Right. Uh, and I got to put that notch in my belt, right? Like I got to say, <laughs> yeah, we did that. Now at any point, um, Epi, did you take a break? Uh, was there a downtime oh, yeah. where you left, left the hobby? Uh, and when was that? And what brought you back? Yeah. Well, I, I got, I guess this is <laughs> probably a little embarrassing as well. So go to college. <laughs> Uh, my first attempt at college is all sorts of embarrassing. Um, I, I ended up with a, I was not, I was not prepared for college when I first went and I ended up with like a 0.0 semester. They kicked me out. I, good news is spoiler alert. I, I 
learned my lessons. It took me a little while. I went back, got my degree, nice. blah, blah, blah. Um, but going to college, uh, at some point, there was this thing where uh, I, my first degree is in English with an emphasis in creative writing. And there's there's a at the time, there was considerable pressure. Uh, I I don't think I would have described it at the time as pressure or anything like that. But like there's considerable pressure to just be kind of a lit fic author, <laughs> right? Like none, none of the teachers they would say at the beginning of their their semester and say, don't do any genre fiction. I, I, it's fine if you do genre fiction. I'm just not equipped to grade that. I'm not equipped to, you know, and it's like, you should be like, or yeah, right. somebody here should be right. <laughs> right. Like this is, it, it's like it, the, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we can go into that whole thing, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. So I'm with you, you though. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I swallow a bit of the, the, the Kool-Aid, you know, and I, I think to myself, I got to get serious about writing. And uh, so I started focusing on lit fake, which is fine. There's plenty of great, yep. you know, uh, I found some of my favorite authors that way. And uh, at some point, um, the, I, I was like, this is, this is who I am now. And then, uh, I don't actually know what broke that because uh, in and amongst all of that, um, Nat, who is uh, one of the co-authors of Dread, like I met him when I first went to college. And then when I went back, I was roommates with him. That's so funny. like uh, like and we gamed all the time. So there was like somewhere, but there was definitely this point in between there where I was like, I'm going to be. uh serious person serious yeah a serious person <laughs> a serious artist um and uh i had to deprogram myself a little bit over yeah. the years i had to i had to uh re rediscover the stuff that i enjoyed in my youth and and uh um get back to that uh which i'm happy to say worked yeah <laughs> Was the, was the gap long enough that you saw a lot change as far as the types mm. of games that were out there and the type of, uh, you know, systems that were out there? Or was the was it not that long of a break? It wasn't. It was, I don't think it would have been that long. Well, OK, so the. For me, my understand. OK, so. I was working in a comic shop in the 90s, early 90s, uh, and then. Yeah, my my gap would have been in the late 90s. Got and uh, I don't want to say nothing happened in the late 90s or anything like that. But like there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of, you know, interesting things that happen leading up to that. And then the year 2000, um, which is kind of like where I feel like I, I, I came back to the surface of it all is mm -hmm. like D&D third &D edition uh, dropped. Um, a lot of indie games like the technology changed and made it easier for people to, you know, self-publish things. I mean, that was the other thing. And this is, uh, again, part of my uh, I'm going to put quotes around education. I mean, it wasn't education, but uh, they they were very, very vehement about self-publishing being bad. And they and they weren't wrong um, to based on like there, there are a lot of predatory people out there who are like oh you want to be an author just pay us this amount of money right. and we'll publish these books we'll yeah. print these books and and you can store them and you know right. that was like the there's there's a 
trend of cannibalism in, in the creative writing field uh, that like my teachers are very correct in, in attempting to like protect us from. Yeah. However, the way of the future for role playing games was 100 percent self-publishing and it had always been yeah. right. Like it, the, it's not a. Um, um, it's literally how it started. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. I had to, I, yeah, I mentioned that, um, he had to convince me that it was okay to publish a game, like, yeah. like, uh, which was weird because, you know, wanted to publish a game for like most of my life. Right. Like that I'm, I'm was inventing them and writing them down, printing them out on dot matrix printers and stapling them together and hoping for the, the best. But, uh, Yeah. All right. So you and I, you and I very similar in age. I can tell just by the stories Mm -hmm. you're telling and the dates you're throwing (laughs) out there. Um, But both Epi and I are, you know, uh, early thirties, mid thirties. And, uh, (laughs) but there's a difference between you and me, right? So we both had very similar gaming experiences. Um, I too created notebooks of TSR superheroes from the old yellow box, right? Just like unbelievable amounts, drew the pictures and everything, right? And I was the forever GM as the kid in the neighborhood. I ran whatever games we ended up buying, but I never made a game. Right now, mm. I did some creating, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's different. It's you did. And I'd, I'd like to get a sense of what now and as an adult looking back on it, you know, I may mm-hmm. not know what the hell you were doing as a kid then. Do you have a <laughs> sense of what, what what was that like that drive or what, what brought you to that space? Yeah, uh, it's a thing that I, I examine and reexamine from time to time sure. because um, it uh there, there's a, a desire to to pick apart what's happening. Right. Um, but you do that anyway. It's like when you when you read if you're if you're into a game because you think the rules are neat. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a lot of different reasons to be into a game. None of them are wrong. And I'm, I'm not here to uh, a younger Epi would be angry about <laughs> some of these. But like a younger Epi was also kind of a he wasn't the best person. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, but, but, uh, but I, I definitely appreciate a good rule set. Like there's, there's, uh, um, I love a good turn of phrase in, in like fiction. I, you know, the, I, I, it took me a long time to figure out how to express what I like in the art that I like, but I, mm-hmm. there, you know, there's a certain thing I like about art. Um, the closer a band sounds to black Sabbath, the more I like them. I mean, like I have like tastes, yeah. you know? Um, and one, one of these tastes is, is that this, uh, is about rules in, in, um, role-playing games. I, like, I find a poetry in how the rules work and I find a poetry in how the rules work, whether or not they work. Interesting. (laughs) Um, cause I can enjoy a game, uh, by reading it. Like, you know, I could read a game and go, Hmm, I really, I really like what they're getting at here, right? And and then I could play it and be like, oh, there's this linchpin that's missing. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. It's not quite working. But but it doesn't matter. Like I still like the game, right? Like I, you know. Um, and, and then you there's found, other and you games. found joy in reading it, right? Which exactly. is exactly yeah. like that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's other games where like maybe I didn't think much of them we played them and i was like okay hold on <laughs> this is doing something i wasn't expecting and this is this is good and there's games that really like from the get-go i'm like this is something i'm going to enjoy 
let me tell you why I think it's going to work. And then we play it and like, I, I, I'm like, just pay attention to these things that I'm telling you about right. and, and you know, we can enjoy it. And we do. And like, I'm not saying that like, listen to, listen to old grandpa Epi. He'll tell you how to enjoy no, it. But, but, like, but you've read a bunch of books, you know, the language. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So, um, so there's that, there's just, uh, a desire to kind of take it apart and see what it is. I will say, like, most of the time, um, what drives me forward is when a game inspires me and feels incomplete in some way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right? So, uh, there's, I think there's a thing about earworms that Mm -hmm. are kind of like that. Like, one of the reasons why those work is that, like, if you just do part of the song, your brain is constantly trying to 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 answer that, and I think that on a on a, on a little a little grander scale, time wise, that's sort of what what happens in in uh in my head. Well, I'll play a game, and I, the um a lot of my games are answers to games mm. that I deeply love uh, that I want to fix, <laughs> and so. And I like I, I don't like using the term fix because the games right. obviously are doing something and they're working, but like there's something that I want I want to like extract from it and and purify and then place in, in a different uh setting or different um settings. Setting already has a meaning in role-playing games. Just place it in the, in a different capsule in a different uh well, well uh, let's let's container. be honest, and you know this, but you know, based on your college background, I mean so much art has been created as responses, right? I mean, that's a, that's a classic, whether it be visual arts, whether it be literature, whatever responses has driven some of the most incredible creativity in music too. Um, so that's interesting. I guess I've never thought about that, like quite in that context. Um, but that makes a ton of sense. So guys, the insider insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators, and learn how they approach their work. I try and understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. And that's exactly what we're going to do with Epi. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about a little game called Swords Without Master. We'll be right back. Oh, hey, it's me. Um, I'm interrupting this episode. And I hope you're enjoying it, and I bet you're anxious to hear the rest. But before we jump back, I need a favor. Do you know someone who might enjoy this episode? Can you shoot them a quick message or maybe even send them a link to it? Listeners sharing this podcast was the primary reason we almost doubled our audience last year. Also, would you like to see and hear these games in action? Go to the Third Floor Wars YouTube channel and Twitch stream. Our actual plays combine compelling role-playing, character-driven action, and system tutorials. We create great stories while lifting the hood and showcasing the game mechanics. Links to both are in the show notes. Okay, last thing, and I mean it. Have you rated this podcast on your pod platform yet? Maybe even written a short review? It is a simple way for you to be even more awesome than you already are. Okay, now I'm done. Let's jump back and listen to the rest of this episode. All right. So for those of you, um, and so I got to make it, oh, hold on. I got, I got confession time. You, you did a little oh. confession in the first segment. It's time for me to do a confession. Sounds good. I didn't put 
there was two different people that I didn't know were the same person. And I, oh, I've done it. <laughs> right. I didn't realize Swords Without Master guy was also Dread Guy. Yeah. And so when you got the email from me, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, this is exciting. So for those of you who don't know Swords Without Master, Swords Without Master is a game of adventure, violence, and wonder. Become rogues in a world of swords and sorcery, living by your wits and prowess, plunging into the unknown and seizing it from untold treasures now um i know a little bit about the game but there might be people that that aren't familiar with it epi and um how do i word this um there's people listening right now going jesus another fantasy game right so i want to go backwards and mm-hmm. i want to go to uh swords without master doesn't exist and okay. where did the earth where did the itch first appear Did it first appear from a mechanical standpoint, from a genre standpoint, from a response to something like where was the very beginning? If we look at the first exhibit in the Swords Without Master Museum. Well, I think the. um, This is good that we had the discussion we just had, because this is this is the lead up to it. So I had that I had that dark period where Litvik, right? Like I had that dark period where they they um, they were like, you must be um, a serious writer if you're going to be a writer, you know. Um, and I, I mean, I'm mischaracterizing them. It's not them. It's just the whole structure. Right. Yeah, it's the monolith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, during that time, uh, I, after that, I'm sorry, after that time, uh, I had I had a, a period of rediscovery, right? Like where I was like, let me go back and check out those old, um things the the old fantasy stuff i enjoyed as a kid and uh reread uh a bunch of the morcox elric stuff oh so good yeah um the and you know saw things like it's it's there's a certain joy to a work that hits one way when you're a teenager and hits a completely different way when you're an adult right and and these were, those were great for it. Like they were very, uh, again, uh, Fawford and Grey Mouser, the um, lit Fritz Leiber stuff, uh, especially like the early, the first four books, early books. Um, and to readers who've not experienced the Fawford and Grey Mouser stuff, when I say the first four books, I please don't think of like Game of Thrones or anything like that. They're collections yeah. of yeah. short stories. They're like, Grab them in whatever order you want. That's fine. There's no first four books of Conan. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Um, and like the Fawford and Greymouse, like as a teenager, like, like these, these two rogues, uh, their, their whole like adventuring career really gets going when, uh, you know, it's the classic, uh, misogynistic trope of fridging the girlfriends like yep. both of them were in love with women these women were killed by the thieves guild so they they're I, no spoilers but like they they take it to the thieves guild and it's uh it's why you know what a thieves guild is like right. the, the Fawford and gray mouser stories seep into the D, which seeps into like um into popular culture really is what it is D is that funnel into the popular culture so uh Reading it as a kid, I felt very deeply these emotions that they had. And reading it as an adult, I realized that Fritz Leiber is making fun of these two idiots. Like, it's, oh, it's so good. It's It's so so fun. Yeah. Um, 
and it 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 like it loosened things up for me, yeah. right? Like it, it, there's just I can appreciate the genre not as, from an ironic distance, but like within the genre itself. Like Fritz Labor is the we don't we call it sword and sorcery because Michael Moorcock was like, hey, what do we call this genre that we and and Robert E. Tower have been doing that isn't Lord of the Rings? Yeah. I, and I want to call it this. And Fritz Labor's like, oh, that I've been calling that sword and sorcery. And that's why we call it sword and sorcery. Right. Like it, and um, uh, yeah. And, and then finding ones that I looked, I've seen, I remember the covers from when I was a kid, yeah. but I never read them. Like they're in that section of the library, that wonderful section of the library. Um, Tanith Lee. Great. Like I, a friend of mine who people probably know, Vincent Baker, uh, did Apocalypse World and whatnot, uh, was like, hey, I'm a big Tanith Lee fan. You should check out Tanith Lee. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll check out some Tanith. And I'm like, oh, okay. Where was that my whole <laughs> life, right? Like that's, um, and uh, yeah, just 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 really enjoying uh, the, the the genre, Sword and Sorcery in particular, that that section of fantasy yeah. and just the parts of fantasy that believe in it. Sword and Sorcery is a, a really kind of wonderful genre in that it, it, um, it's very, very malleable. There's, there's like, uh, there's alien, there's an alien in a Conan story. There's like, you know, at any moment you could run into robots or, uh, Fawford and Grey Mouser are, it, it's not even important to the story. At some point they're crossing a lake and a sea monster comes out of the lake and riding the sea monster is a time traveler from like modern day Germany. <laughs> like, it, like, why? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Like, um, probably an in joke with a friend. Like right. that's because a lot of these are just like these writers are writing them, and, and um, sometimes they're writing them for one magazine that's like, like, no, we don't want it, and then they rewrite it and send it to another magazine. Yep. They're like, yeah, that's great. And the first magazine's a western, and the second one is you know a sort of sorcery. Yeah. Like, it, so it's very. Uh, and so I got really. Um, steeped in the genre and I was really uh, enjoying it. And I was frustrated. Like, as I was saying before that um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be careful with my words here because I don't want to like, I don't want to sound too terribly dismissive, but I was, I was frustrated with the sort of underlying assumption that D and D was just how you handle sword and sorcery. Right. Uh, Cause I was reading these things and I was like, this is not, like I could, I could jam these characters into D and D classes, and they do. Like Fawford and Greymaster are in the original deities and demigods. The yeah, Morcock is also like a, a uh, Elrica Melnimbode. Mel, Melnimbode. Oh my god, I should know how to say that. Anyways, um, and so they're they're like, yeah, this is a thief wizard fighter combo of level twenty seven, right. you know, like or whatever. Um, I know, I know that AD&D in that level didn't go up to 27 back then, but that's fine. Um, but the, the point was, is that like, so I had, I, I was trying to settle upon something. I wanted to do a sword and sorcery, something I wanted to make a statement about sword and sorcery in the form of a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I didn't have, have the rules for it. Like, um, I was constantly, uh, writing a game and discarding it and writing a game and discarding it and writing a game and discarding it. Right. Like I didn't have something that fit what I was trying to say. So do you, do you, do you feel like Epi, you had, you had a sense of, of the feel and the texture, but you just couldn't quite put, build the house around it. I'm, I'm trying to. 
Yeah. So like, um, okay. So I, I, I kind of, I like to talk about this as having a compost heap in the back of my brain. Uh-huh. Right. So I'll, I'll get an idea. Uh, and sometimes that idea will be for the mechanics of a game uh, that's in search of a uh, setting, search of a theme, something like that. Uh, and I'll start working on it and I'll slap a theme on it and not, something about it isn't working right. So I throw it on the compost heap. It's not discarded. It's just going to yep. sit there. Something might grow. Um, and so, uh, okay, Tunnels and Trolls, uh, this arguably the second role-playing game, um, yeah, does some things that I I absolutely love. I, it, in in many ways, uh, I often think of... of uh, like, what would the world be like if Tunnels and Trolls was the first one? Like, yeah. like how is how are our systems be different? And but it also very much has some a lot of similarities to D anD D. Like, not just the alliteration and well, there's an argument like, one wouldn't be without the other, right? Yeah, That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I, I would do some hacking on that, or I do some hacking on D anD D, or I would do hacking on like whatever game I happen to be excited about at the time. I would start to drift away from that game and try and make this sword and sorcery thing. And nothing was was doing what I want. Uh, I don't. But like, I can't say that I was I would be able to articulate what I wanted. Right. Like, I, sure. I would just be dissatisfied with it. Yep. And um, and OK, I'm just going to go into how I solved this problem yeah. because I didn't. What happened was <laughs> uh, there was a group of us. We um, I had gotten together a group of friends in at the time I was living in in New York and uh we had we would go out to eat together you know hang out uh freewheeling that kind of thing and uh oftentimes we'd have these these dinners where suddenly we'd be clearing the table and you know we'd have the salt over here and this we'd start building a game we'd have discussions about games and we start building it and uh this is this is great, but it's also antisocial behavior because not everyone at that table is into games. <laughs> right. So uh, my solution to that, and I've, I've actually had several solutions to that problem over the years. But at that time, my solution to it was to, to grab this group of friends and say, hey, we have fun making games together. Why don't we try to make a game while we're like play the game while we're making it right? Like this is this is and this is a technique. And I use the word technique very loosely. This is a technique that we call play storming. Interesting. We, we know that sounds dumb. That's why we called it that. <laughs> um, I, like, uh, so the idea behind play storming is that there will be uh, one person, and, and this doesn't quite work. Well, uh, let's just say the idea behind play storming is that one of us would come with the smallest idea of a game and we'd sit down. And we'd start playing it and we start coming up with rules on the spot and mm-hmm. we would try them. And the person that we call the game bearer, who's the one who brought the game, they get to uh, say if we keep going with a rule or if we don't or if we try out these different paths. And then they get to take away whatever they get to take away from. Nice. There's no burden on them to use any of those right. rules. There's no burden on them uh, to not use any of the rules. Like it's just uh, it was a very open understanding and uh we did this uh to some extent we did this just for fun sometimes people actually had games that they brought to us that they wanted to like get you know some juices going on there are a lot of games that almost went somewhere that came out of this uh there's one i'm just going to tell you the title of it i can't tell you anything else about it because it never did anything 
tigers riding bears. <laughs> like, I wish. Like, there, there's a world where that is a role-playing game. There's now a gap in the market. <laughs> yeah, there's... Um, so, what what happened with this group is that we... Uh, there's another... There was a convention in Western... Ma- in fact, in the town that I'm in now in Western Massachusetts called JiffyCon. Uh, I'd never been. A friend of mine uh, wanted to go and bring us and we we're like yeah this sounds like fun this is this is uh, a small group of about 30 people most of them game designers and they're often just trying out games that they're doing uh it was run created and run by emily Kerboss, who's my wife and this is how i meet her this <laughs> oh, is the story is of how great. i meet her <laughs> and uh which is it's not a coincidence that i now live in this town like I, i'm just gonna put that out there um so we came up with a challenge that nobody Nobody stuck to us. Nobody held us. To, nobody like we, we're the idiots who decided to do this. We were we said we're going to make a game from scratch, from the initial idea to publication in the week leading up to JiffyCon. OK. And we got together and uh, in the first for the first game, I think there were like three or four of us doing it. I think three of us. Uh, that game, it's it's out there on uh, one of my websites. It's called. Um, trial and terror supernatural victims unit uh nice. and it is it's a law and order uh it's fun it's 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 like a um it's got some really neat mechanics in it you play for like a certain amount of time as these cops in a world where there's a whole bunch of supernatural things and then you switch to the da's and you get to make up rules because like or like laws i'm sorry right, you get to make right. up laws because yeah, like who knows what the world accepts that there are vampires, but what what does that mean then? Like, right. how do we you know regulate that? Anyways, we made that game and we published it, and it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun making the game. It was stressful putting it together, publishing it, and bringing it, but we had we had a lot of fun. The next JiffyCon we went to, actually, I think I've been to JiffyCon once before. We did, I don't remember. Anyways, I'm old. The next JiffyCon we went to that we decided to do this, we made a game called Monkey Dome. And Monkey Dome came from an idea a friend of mine had, a friend of ours, uh, who we we had we were talking about Beyond Thunderdome, Mad Max right. Beyond Thunderdome, and we were talking about how the tonal, the tone of that movie would vary so widely, wildly from zany to grim, right? Like it, the, the example that we would use was that like if somebody picked up a shovel. You didn't know if they were going to hit someone and you were going to hear like a or if they were going to just just stick it right into their neck, you know, like like you don't you don't know what's going to happen. So that with that kernel of that idea uh, that that became Monkey Dome. Monkey Dome was a basically Thunderdome where you rolled two dice. One was your zany die and one was your grim die. Whichever <laughs> one's higher is what the tone was for your scene. You rolled before you did the scene. Right. So you knew what it was going to be. Uh, if you rolled a tie, you would have to learn a lesson. <laughs> and uh, which means you were going to be one tone, but you should have been the other or something like that. Right. Uh, and you had to write these lessons down. And if you got a certain number of lessons that br- brought us to the end of the game. And uh, there were a bunch of other mechanics in it, like not not like a ton, but there were, you know, enough. Uh, This game, we were so excited while we were playing it. And then, like, we kept playing it even when we were supposed to be taking time (laughs) writing it, you know, and and like 
you spent the whole week writing it and doing the layout and arguing about like art and just like everything that, you know, a week's worth of game publishing is just, I don't recommend it, but like we did it. <laughs> uh, and we got this game done and we, we went to like a, uh, like a Kinko's or a Staples or something and printed out a bunch of them. And we had them, we're holding boxes of them. We're on a train heading from New York to Western Massachusetts for this convention. And we're on this train and we're just sitting there going, you want to play monkey dome? Like, yeah, I want to play some monkey. We're so addicted to this, this really. And then, uh, what was connecting? Let's stop right there. Like what was, what was that driver that like, first of all, the fact that you weren't sick and goddamn tired of that game is the the miracle to this story. You guys are on this train and you're like, you know, like heroin addicts going like, Hey, you want to take a hit like real quick? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. What was going on? So, well, a, a couple things like number one, um, Amtrak, uh delays are legendary so there's that like we ran out of we every other game that we got to monkey dome <laughs> yeah uh but but i think i think it was th- that's actually a good question right um so this this game becomes the perilous phase in swords without master so this becomes like roughly a third of swords without master um and the the thing about it oh i so what it is is as you're playing it Nobody knows at the very beginning. Like, there's no under like the GM doesn't know. I don't remember what we called. I think we called him the Master Blaster. Probably called it the Master Blaster. I'd be disappointed um, if you didn't. Yeah, um, but nobody knows what the game is going to be about. Right. The, the Master Blaster has uh, apocalyptic imagery that, that they, you know, throw at you, uh, and then. You you know kind of take that and because you get some narrative control, you get to like kind of make that into whatever you want. You're not trying to form it a certain way, but you you add your own create that enough to that um, that there's no way that like once the master blaster lets go of the dice, they don't know what the world's going to be like when it gets back to them. Right. And uh, and then they get to go again and they build on top of that. But then there's this thing where you'd roll these lessons uh, and the end of the game was after you got a certain number of those, uh, you would trigger the end game where you'd have to reincorporate them. And the this I think the big thing about this is that the end of the game is ends up being this confirmation that the game was about this all along. Nobody could have known that. Nobody could have done it. But you're like, oh, wow. Like, no wonder I couldn't save, you know, Gary. That was so that I can learn that, you know, like that. That's the the um, the progress. So this is like but the thing is, is and this is the the other element that happened was that uh, my friend um, Jason Keeley, who's one of these uh, game designers who now works for for oh he was until very recently was working with Paizo and then he left for uh I'm blanking on the name of the com- of company oh I should know it they're like doing GI Joe and Transformers oh, and Renegade things. Games yes it yes thank yeah. you yeah um anyways uh like he's he said let's do instead of doing this uh, post-apocalypse one because we've played that you know to death in the whole week that this game has existed let's do a western one and the tones are young and guns (laughs) and like yes 
Yes. <laughs> right. And he, and he runs that for us. And that's when it clicks, right? Yeah. I'm in the middle of this game. I'm staring out the window of this train uh, while we're playing the game. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this, this is how I make my sword and sorcery game. And like this something. is, this is it. This is the seed uh, that becomes swords without master. So from there, um, there, there's a lot of work from that point on. Right. Uh, like uh, Swords takes uh, a few years to hammer out mechanically. I, I, end, I add more phases, different ways to interact with it. Um, because these, the Monkey Dome perilous phase is just relentless. And it's supposed to be, right? right. Like that's, but the Sword and Sorcery when I was like, I can't have it be relentless. So there's, there's, sort of a breather thing that happens in it. You get to do like a discovery phase and learn things about the world. You get to do the rogues phase where you just go out and um, impress us or, or not, or, you know, whatever your, your rogue is meant to do. Uh, and I add a few more um, at, at this point, I start calling them threads. The lessons get called morals. Uh, then you add um, motifs and mysteries. Mysteries uh, are like, there has to be something supernatural or mysterious happening at this point. You've rolled the dice and that's what it says. So that's what it's going to be. Right. Uh, and the, the motifs are um, somebody has in the game has said something that just feels incredibly sword and sorcery to you. So you write it down and those, instead of the morals or instead of the lessons, those become the timing mechanism because then you're not relying it on the dice. Right. Because we did, we did play a game that went on and on and on <laughs> because nobody learned any lessons. Um, so, you know, like, and uh, a, a bunch of like the tones uh, get brought in. Um, they're no longer uh, zany and grim. They are now uh, glum and jovial mm-hmm. to, to match uh, the, my idea was like Fofford, if Fofford's glum, Grey Mouser yep. is jovial and vice versa. That almost always is the way that happens. And then uh, it, the, afterwards, it occurred to me that there's also the the famous um, uh, Robert E. Howard's opening to the first, the Phoenix and the Sword, the first Conan one, where he's like, hither came Conan uh, with his gigantic mirths and his gigantic melancholies. Right, and it's just, right. Oh, yes. <laughs> perfect. Um. So, yeah, so the game is is more narrative. It's very explicit in the game that you are the challenge is to craft a compelling tale of sword and sorcery. And uh, so that's uh, and the game itself sometimes gets in the way on purpose and sometimes it doesn't. Well, is it and help me out here, uh, because believe it or not, you know more about this game than I do. Um, (laughs) When you say craft a sword and sorcery tale, is it crafting a sword and sorcery's tale or piecing together one looking backwards? Right. So it's yeah. I mean, so, okay. So what's so crafting? Am, I play, am I playing a story <laughs> or am I discovering a story through play? You're discovering a story through play. Got Absolutely. It. So yeah, um, you're what what's happening is uh, the by the time it becomes uh, swords without master. Um, the GM role is no longer master blaster. It's the over player and the over player rolls for the overtone. There's a, there's some puns in there. You gotta have puns. It's a role playing game. Um, but the, uh, the over player 
brings like a kernel of a story, right? Like right. No, no idea of how it's going to end. Excuse me. But when I do it, I just have, I'm like, I just have a vivid opening scene. Mm-hmm. It's all I care about. Once we go through that, um, especially so this discovery phase in it uh, is okay. So each phase, the pair, okay, let me take this back a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to explain all the rules because it's no, 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 but this is important. But, yeah, so the perilous phase, you're going back and forth. The the overplayer is telling you all the bad things that are happening. Uh, there's one set of dice. They're being passed around the table. Uh, only the person with the dice can interrupt and make something mm. happen. Everyone can say what they're doing, and they can slip and struggle, but it's only the person who rolled the dice who can overcome or succumb to what's happening. And uh, once they do that, once they roll the dice... They can still slip and they can decide, I don't want to overcome or succumb. This is fun. Let's keep this going. Yeah. Like that's the, it's a very explicit in the rules that like, if you don't care about the enemy, dispatch them. Like you're telling the GM, I don't care. If you do care about the enemy, you let that enemy run over you. You, you invest them with glory by showing us how, how magnificent they are so that you can reap that glory back into you when right. you finally defeat them. Uh, and so you, you do this, uh, you make these rolls and, but whoever made the role after they're done making the role can decide, I want this phase to end. Um, and if they don't, then the overplayer comes back with more bad stuff and you have to pass the dice. You can't roll them twice in a row, but you can hold on to them while the overplayer is bringing all this bad stuff and you can make it very uh, uncomfortable for all your allies. That's fun. Um, and then we just do that. And then we switch to another phase and we don't have to switch to it. It can be the same. Fa- but anyways, right. those are rules. Uh, then there's the rogues phase and the rogues phase uh, is, is where the overplayer rolls the dice, tells you where you are, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then makes a demand. Show us how you sink, you know, the Emerald fleet and then hands you the dice. You roll the dice right away. And that tone is the tone where you tell, show us how you sink the Emerald fleet. And then when you're done doing that, anyone at the table can say, we're done with this phase. If no one does, right. then you make a demand of someone else. So I you see. turn to your other rogue and you're like, show like you're like, and then I, you know, I'm, I'm dragging the last of the Emerald's fleet down underwater. You hand it to your friend. You'll show me how you drag my corpse out of the d- icy depths. Right. Like, yes. Right. <laughs> Let's do this. And uh, so that, you know, that goes back and forth. That's the rogues phase. Then there's the discovery phase where all these phase open the same way with the overplayer telling you where you are and what's happening. Very railroady. And then, um, the overplayer hands the dice to someone, no demand. You just have to show us something about the world that your rogue is experiencing, uh, is uh, like knows about the world, is learning about the world. Someone's telling them about the world, mm. you know, something like it's something about the world through the experiences of your your rogue. And uh, and then once you've conveyed this to us, you have to ask the overplayer a leading question about it. So you can you could be like. I find a glowing sword upon the ground, right? Like, yeah, that's great. It'd be like, why is it I shouldn't have picked it up, right? <laughs> mm, juicy. Uh, and so this discovery phase, there's no need for you to keep with any of the story. Right. Like, like you're certainly welcome to pick up where the last person left off, but we can jump forward and backwards in time just like oh. you can in a book. There's no problem. 
uh, you, you're like, I can't think of anything to add to the story. So let me just tell you about these hobbits that live over here. Well, please, no hobbits, but like something that, you know, right. like this group of people that live over here, just for the sake of selling you whatever. The only person who can end the discovery phase is the overplayer. Okay. Because what's happening is that the overplayer is making the notes, right? Like putting, yeah. storing it in the old kidneys and uh, like thinking, okay, what, where do we go from? What is this story about? Like, what, what do we, and you're, the players are writing it for them. Like they're right. writing the adventure and it's, oh, it's so anyways, that, that's, um, I don't know why I went off on talking about the, the discovery phase, except that I think this gets to a little bit of what, like you were saying, like, you don't know, nobody knows right. where you're going to go. Yep. And, and then you do this reincorporation in the end and you do a little reincorporation along the way too. There's like, uh, um, but like bringing it back together at the end, you're like, oh, that's what it was about. Like, there's, oh, yeah, a, there's a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, there's a lot of this that's that's familiar. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot that, that that's that's very different. Um, and, you, and you also remember the context of when it comes out, too, because there's ideas here that were built off of in other games. Right. You know, or yeah. where and and so on and so forth. But I would imagine and you tell me if I'm right here that. It's one thing for me to sit down with Epi and his buddies. Um, we take a train ride and you mm-hmm. say, hey, Craig, like, check this out. Right. I'm going to yeah. teach this game real quick. And we all play it together. Right. And maybe you're a player. Maybe you're the overlord or whatever. Or story, uh, overlord. Overplayer. Overplayer. Sorry. But what is what happens when it's all written down? Right. And it's put into an envelope and shipped off to a foreign <laughs> land like, you know, Florida. And you're not there. And has, have, have echoes come back to you where people have tried to wrap their head around this game or have done things with this game where you weren't there to help. You weren't there to, to, to say, yeah, that's, you know, I'm I'm trying to get a sense of what it's like when it got out in the wild. Yeah. So, so it's a tough one, right? Like, um, it, it is definitely a departure. It's not like you don't have stats in any traditional sense. Uh, you're playing, I, you know, I keep using the term rogue as if everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's not the D and D rogue. It's the Fawford and gray mouse. Right. It's you, the term rogue and swords without master means you're playing someone who is neither owns land nor is visibly employed. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you're an adventurer in quotes. You're an adventurer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, there's, there's a lot of concepts in it. Some of which like here pretty closely to, to, uh, pop culture understanding of sword and sorcery, but have their own like. It's important that you you pay attention to how they aren't exactly what what this yes. stuff is saying. I try to be very explicit. Like one of my, um, like I said, a couple, it took a couple of years to hammer out what the rules were, and then it took five years to hammer out the voice of the game. Interesting. Um, and that was very, I just kept rewriting it and rewriting it. Not the whole game, but I would just start writing it and just hating it and writing it and hating it. Um, I mean, like this, this is the joke, right? I, I couldn't figure out how to publish that game. So instead, I I I founded a sword and sorcery magazine. So I had an excuse <laughs> to publish it. I, I came at this the worst possible way. Uh so that that's so that's the origin. So you of, wanted to write you wanted to write dwarven and elven languages, so you decided to write a book trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, uh, so that's where Worlds Without Master comes from, right? So that's so cool. Worlds Without Master. Um, 
Well, there's a couple places where that came from. Uh, there's that. I'm working on this, and I'm I'm also just having fun writing my own sword and sorcery stuff. Uh, amongst my circle of friends, there's kind of a sword and sorcery renaissance. We're yeah. very much enjoying it. And Vincent's writing a bunch of short, uh, sword and sorcery short stories, and several of them end up in Worlds Without Master. Um, I and I I thought to myself like I really want like I mentioned earlier in the the podcast Dragon Magazine like I just I have this like desire to to recreate this thing uh, and then Patreon is launched and Patreon is a model that uh, I could see funding a magazine yep. through it's a possibility and then um, I get surgery uh, I had a, a hernia. And they put me on painkillers. And sometime in that haze, I launch a magazine. <laughs> it's the 60s all over again. Yeah. So like so that's that's where uh, that's where that came from. And so um, Worlds Without Master was me creating a uh, body of work. Right. To point people to for like, I didn't I don't want to define sword and sorcery for anyone. Right? Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time over coffee and stronger drinks arguing about what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> in person. I didn't want to get on the Internet and argue about it. So I was like, OK, I'm just going to here's a magazine where I have control over what's published in it. I get to, you know, um, have this say about what you need to make a statement. Yeah, I can make this. And I don't have to make it explicit i could just you know do it uh and so and i uh, i've got some i'm like i have some stories in me i want to get them out so there's 11 issues of worlds without master Uh, i'm not saying there's only going to be 11 issues there was just 11 issues in that first run before i ended up you know other things in in life taking over but um i have a short story in each one of them uh there is a role-playing game in each one of them Except one, one has a supplement for the role playing in the game in the first one. So there's 10 distinct role playing games in them. Issue number three has uh, Swords Without Master in it. Right. And that's the only way to get Swords Without Master is in issue number three. Um, I'm, that's, uh, I mean, we can, we'll probably get into this later because issue number two has the original wolf spell in it. So <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot going on here. But writing the stories for this magazine, help me find the voice that I wanted and writing the, the games that I was putting in the magazine. Cause I wanted to like, I, I couldn't, you don't have room. I, I was, I was doing very stringent word counts for people because mm. I wanted to make sure I was paying them well enough and I couldn't afford over a certain amount. The only person who was allowed to break the word count was me uh, because I could, I could rip my own self off. That's, that's <laughs> legal. Um, and I certainly, blew through that word count with swords swords is is uh, uh anyway, i don't remember how many pages but anyways it's, it's, it's considerably more yeah. yeah um but i was learning as i was writing these games i was learning how to 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 and then i wanted to write um a series of shorter games that dealt with each little section of swords like mm-hmm. how each of the phases work and uh in fact one of them did end up in uh Another issue um, is Sorceress Bloody Sorceress, which is a murder mystery game where you play. Uh, you're doing a, um, the the rogues phase over and over again, and you're basically a bunch of people at a, a last meal for a uh, 
a, a boy who has been named king and he's going to be poisoned during this meal and you're just throwing accusations <laughs> like show us about the time you you know insulted the king's son you know or you know whatever yeah. and uh, uh and at some point uh the the boy the kingling is what we call it the kingling dies and then uh the doors blow open and the sorceress arrives and she's going to solve this mystery anyway, that's a that's a whole nother game. I don't want to get onto it. Well, but, um, but I want to pause for just a second if we could, yeah. Abby, because there's something there's there's a term you keep using, which I think everybody, including myself listening, thinks we understand. And I want to make sure we do. And that is the the, the idea of you struggling with the voice of the game and, and oh, different games yeah. have different voices. Um, can you can you give us an understanding or an example of that? Maybe using two games real quick. So two games that you ha- that that came from you. But okay. have two two different voices. So let's start off with swords. What mm-hmm. is where where did you settle? What how would you characterize so, the voice of swords? Yeah, let me let's see if I can do this aloud. Uh, I am going to read aloud to you the opening of swords because I think it's just going to take me one moment because beauty of editing, baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a hard drive. So organized. <laughs> uh, all right, here we are. Uh, let's bring up Worlds Without Master issue three. Gather writing implements, scraps of paper, three or four of your cohorts, and two six-sided dice that you can easily tell apart to a table. A mahogany table adorned with thick, greasy candles and five human skulls. Failing that, a stout oaken table near a glowing hearth replete with ale-filled steins and a succulent roast, or if you prefer, a table chipped from, or if you prefer, a table chipped whole from a single obsidian stone placed on the back of a coiled serpent of silver in a high room in a lonely tower shrouded by a prismatic fog. That's how I open up swords. Right. <laughs> and it, I, I was like, I want to be like, I wanted to say, we're having fun here. Right. Like, like I want to like, it's not like that's it's not clear the case you're not for, being completely serious. Right. But your yeah, tone yeah. setting. Yeah. But also like all three of those tables, I mean, you want to play at all three of those yes. tables, right? Like, like each one of them says something and, and, and the game itself is all about that, like finding the detail that's going to make the scene work that you, the rest of your players are going to go, Oh yeah. Like, I didn't like we you start describing the mahogany table and they're like, yeah, mahogany table, like you know, greasy candles on human skulls, and they're like, and they're writing that down in the motif, right? Like that's they're they're putting that. And um I didn't have room. I certainly had room for fiction because I I filled the whole magazine with fiction, right? Like and all of that fiction is like I felt like a nice introduction to what I want out of this game. But I didn't have room to uh, kind of talk you through it. Mm-hmm. So I had to put it in how it's presented Got to it. you, right? Like, and I want it to, I want it that like to tightly pack that. Whereas like uh, a counter example would be the dread, which was the, the first one that I did where um, I, I mean, I will admit I like, it was the first game I wrote. Like I don't, I, I don't, I didn't, the rules to dread fit on the front and back of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And it's a 200 page book. And that first of all, should say some things. And there's, there's plenty of good material in that book. I yes. hope um, a lot of stuff to help you um, 
build the horror atmosphere. Like the other thing that, that sort of is going on in my design here is it, swords. I've spending a lot of time talking about how the overplayer just comes with a vivid image. And then we go from there and they can kind of sit back. It's because I'm at this point, I've demoed thousands of games, right? Like this is, this is me. Like the next game I write is going to be easier for me to at every single step of the way. It's like, it's easier for the overplayer. It's going to be yeah. easier for the game master, whoever that is. Cause dread is not dreads. Not it's not, it's not that you can't do it. I, uh, this is a, actually kind of a super important thing in role playing is that we need people who are interested in game mastering to understand they're capable of it. Yes. And like a lot of people, it's just the fear mm -hmm. or they just don't feel that like they read it and they're like, I think I know what the rules are, but I don't know if I can run it. I'm like you can run it. You can run it. You already know more than most. Yeah. So, so what, what can you give me a, a sense of previous um, voices that you put to swords that you threw away? So what were some other right. angles you shot at swords and missed? Uh, I got like I get over serious. There's definitely that. Like yeah. there's some of them that where I was just more so than what this is. Uh, a lot of them, they're just the like. So constantly going back and forth between those scales, like the over serious and the under serious, because it, like I, I want to, I want to say like I, there, okay, this happens a lot with a lot of genre fiction where um, there's people who are in the genre who enjoy it and mm -hmm. know what's going on, and there's the people who are a genre adjacent and enjoy it from that point of view and think we need to just deconstruct this genre and then they go and do a thing that's already a fundamental part of the genre right like like you can't you can't deconstruct genres they've already done it like you can't come up you can't stand outside of a genre and come up with an idea that someone inside the genre hasn't already understood about their own genre and done done a seminal work in it right like that's just you know um and i'm you know i'm sure I, there's counter examples to what i'm saying here but there's certainly many many examples that say otherwise yeah so uh like i don't want to be too snotty <laughs> you know i don't want to i don't want to come off as, as you're not uh, though you're not yeah, you're, yeah. you're being very explicit in explaining this so you're not coming yeah, off yeah. that way at all so please <laughs> okay <laughs> but, i'll tell you so, if you're, i'll tell you if you're being an asshole don't worry. I, I appreciate that <laughs> So, so like, you know, there's, there's that fine tuning of that voice, right? Going right. from like over serious to being too, too silly, too dismissive or whatever. But there's also, um, uh, like there, there's also like, okay, do I want, do I want to make sure that people are doing like very little wizardry? Cause it, you're open. You're right. like, you, you're, and I have played games where, like the by the end people are like we need to restart the sun if we don't do that you know um and uh and those you know like those have been a lot of fun and i've played games that have been like incredibly understated compared to that like i mean anything could be incredibly understated compared to that but um we so you know i was trying to figure out like okay how do i convey like the proper level, because there's no mechanics pushing in and saying right. you can only get this far. You can only yep. go that far. And uh, and I also want to leave some of that open, but also how do you negotiate that? So there's there's a lot of that going on. Uh, and. 
yeah i mean i think that like largely that's like so you have when you get a game right there's a lot that comes with that including the art uh a lot of like like some fiction written in, in between the 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 um chapters or you know whatever and down to like the form of the book i mean i'm a big fan of weird forms <laughs> um and like like you earlier in this conversation you were like the the marvel superhero and then you said yellow box and i was like yes <laughs> right like i mean i've got both of them yeah I, but like it's a different feel it, it is. is different and and like part of that is just that box right yep. like you know like it's not that the the rules are that greatly different but nope. like yeah the yellow box now well, we're talking and, the, and by saying yellow box i mark it in time right i mark mm-hmm. it in yeah. i mark it in exposure you know how long i was involved in tsr's mm-hmm. marvel because i'm talking yellow box not blue box <laughs> right yeah but it, it's amazing though it's amazing and, and, and now you know it sets the tone and in itself it's very interesting man yeah so so there's 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 a lot that goes in there and um when you're when you're an independent game designer, right? And and so you have, you're doing so many different jobs. Yeah. And uh, it's not that I couldn't rely on artists. I had a lot of great artists. One of the great joys of, of publishing worlds is getting to know art, a bunch of artists and just like being able to pay them for their gorgeous art, uh, becoming friends with quite a few of them, you know, and just... Uh, but there's just this thing where it's like there's a thing in my head and I want to get it out. The tools I have the most direct control over are the rules that are presented on the page, how they're presented on the page, mm-hmm. the words with which I use to present them. And then like this, what we're doing here, yeah. where I get to tell somebody about it and be uh, enthusiastic. So, yeah, so there's there's definitely like a and like when I did Dread that was not in my head like that all of that wasn't in my head all what i what was in my head was this is what a role playing game looks like on a shelf let how do we make it look like people expect a role playing game to look like but different enough that they think they're going to get something new out of it uh and uh so you know like that that's a different set of concerns um that took a while to to resolve as well but like yeah. Uh, so, so, so going back though a little bit, what bounced back to you that surprised you, right? So, was there stories you heard about people playing swords or people oh, yes. rocking swords that 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 you're like, oh, okay, I didn't see that. Um, what surprised you? Yeah. Um, so, it definitely. I, I will say, that like in the beginning, there was okay. There's a problem with Patreon, <laughs> if I if I may. Um, the, uh, there's a problem the with you can turn out right you general. can turn out right now patreon's fine go ahead yeah, yeah. <laughs> no 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 what i'm saying is is this uh, maybe you experienced this maybe you, you understand what, what is where you 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 put something out and crickets right like it's not like a kickstarter where there's fanfare and a celebration right up to the end and like the the price rockets towards the end because everyone's worried about not getting it the fomo hits really hard um that patreon doesn't have it so i released now i did a dumb thing i i, I will i will admit this like I, I told almost no one that it was going to be an issue three right, right. it was a game, a game that people knew about that was supposed to be out 
you know, not supposed to be out because there was a Kickstarter or mm. anything, but like I said, oh, I'll have this out by November, like three years earlier, sure. four or five years earlier. I don't remember. Um, I remember when it came out, somebody was like, hey, I've got this coupon that I got from you at Gen Con for so much off of it when it finally comes out. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, but so I'm, I'm, you know, waiting for it to, to, to be to make a, a ripple and I put it out there and I put it like probably around midnight. I don't know. I'm like, I just like at the very end of the day, very strategic. Out there. <laughs> and then just like emotional wreck probably for the rest of the week. Cause wow. it, there's just nothing, nobody's talking about it. And then people start talking about it. And then it's like, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was, yeah, there's definitely like, it's not going to work for everyone, especially like reading it off the page. I think people, it's definitely a game that people, when they've played it, they're like, oh, I get it now. And it's because I think, no, I, I'm not in the best position to determine this, but I think it's because the, uh, because it is different enough from other role-playing games that they're just not figuring out what slot to fit it in in their head, right? Like, um, but we... But there, there were people out there who did get it right away and uh, they did some. Um, and what did they say about it? Did, was it all of it anticipated? So they came back to you and say, happy, this is great. You're like, yeah, I, I was waiting for everybody to find that. Yeah, yeah. Or did somebody <laughs> come back and say, you know, this was really interesting to me. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't really piece that together. Like, what surprised you? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely uh, there are people that got lessons from it that like um, I, I get to see it. Like there are a few games that people made that are based on it out there um uh the second edition of with great power is a superhero version of it there's um uh oh i'm gonna get myself in trouble by not listing all of them there's not i mean it's not as many as apocalypse world certainly but like <laughs> okay. we can't we can't all compare ourselves bar. to yeah yeah uh but there there there's a handful of them and they're they're really neat and seeing like the, where they go with the right. mechanics and what they decide to do with it is is often a very uh, interesting thing. And also the thing that happens that I, is really gratifying to me. And I, this is just pure ego stroking, but there'd be like, somebody is like, I was hacking at it and hacking at it. And I was trying to, to turn this into this. And then I finally discovered that you couldn't. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, did you see my well, footprints along the way? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That doesn't work. I know. Like, I don't, we tried oh that's um, fun <laughs> but yeah I, i'm trying to think of like uh, so um evan turner who uh is a, a friend of mine i know um he uh he, he wrote well along with the, his wife um cat jones they they wrote uh a larp based on it that was really awesome and the um so before Swords came out, there was uh, the City of Fire and Coin, which is a let me take you by the hand and walk you through kind of adventure. Like we're going to, excuse me, we're going to play a Swords Without Master adventure. You don't have to make characters here. The characters, uh, here's where you would make a roll, but let's pretend you made this roll so that we can go through this part and, you know, all that. Um, it's still out there. It's free. I don't like it's it. I, I wrote that before I figured out what I wanted. And so I'm not like, go to it. I actually want to go and take a look at it and redo it. And, you know, but it's out there. 
they set their LARP in the city of Fire and Coin. Oh, cool. Uh, which is the 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 fantasy city for whatever it is that's there. And um, they had these locations. They put them in manila folders. Uh, and it was just locations all around the city. They set them all around the room and people would go there. And there would be a picture, a little description of what's happening. And then you have you you play out whatever you're going to play out. And then you write something down in there to convey. I, I might be misrepresenting some of these rules because I'm going off of memory here. But you write something down to, about what happened. Right. And then you flip it over. And there's this other side, same location, but it's a different tone. Nice. And so every time somebody visited, the tone switched. And you'd write these things down just like you do in the motif, you know, like to say, hey, this is what happened there. And like, it was great. You just watch these these people just scatter to different locations. They're like, oh, I got to find where the, you know, the, this is or whatever that is. And um, making up plots because somebody would do something and write something down right. and then someone would see it and be like, we got to follow that up. Like, again, no game master involvement in that like people would come and i was helping game master it and people would come up to me and i'd be like well you gotta tell me what's happening because i don't know <laughs> like you gotta um and then uh and this is this has nothing to do with swords it's just a very brilliant thing and you, if you're ever running a larp you should do this uh there was a table we got the names uh, everybody made their characters and and ahead of time and we had all of them answer a question about what is a drink from their homeland. And then we went out and we bought a whole bunch of different non-alcoholic because we couldn't, and, and but drinks. And then we labeled them oh, that's cool. as these drinks. And we put them on a table in the middle of the room. And this was like this tavern. And people kept coming back. They would go out. They would have an adventure, come back to that tavern and relay it to everyone else. And then go off. And that's how everyone knew everything that was happening. And it was... It was just like, that's so cool. You're like, like just so many, just a few steps away from just removing the game master and then just living that world, that life for the rest of your life. Right. Like if you just have like a table, it's just like, this is our tavern table. Anyone who comes into our house, just have a drink and tell us about your adventure. Like, oh, and it's the central node to the whole thing, which, uh, again, is a voice in its own theme. Right. And and, and pulls that together. That's very, very cool. So, guys, we're going to take another break and we get back from this break. We're going to talk about a game we've touched on a little bit, but um, you might be surprised. We're going to delve into it a lot deeper. We're going to talk <laughs> about Dread. We'll be right back. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway. 
Enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So I think the way I want to start this is similar. I'm going to ask you a similar question that I asked Jason Morningstar when he was on the okay. show. I asked Jason, I said, are you tired of talking about fiasco? So I was, so to <laughs> you, are you tired of talking about dread? Let's start there. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I just said, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> right, uh, have a good night. <laughs> yeah. Good night. I, I mean, I'm not going to say no, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say yes either. Like, uh, I have gone up and down with dread over the years. I bet. Uh, it's okay. So far and away, my best selling game, uh, especially now during the spooky seasons. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, a game I poured my heart and soul into that was all but designed, uh, like almost, I would say like 99% of it was designed two decades ago, right? Like it, 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 it it's, I think it came out in 2005. Well, one the uh, the NE in 06, right? So Yeah, so like it came out in 5 and then it was up for the NEs in 06 and um yeah, so uh that's what that 17 years was yeah. that 17 years. I'm going to barf. Don't, don't, don't get me started on this. Don't, yeah. Like yeah, the, the, you want to about another podcast. Me talking about how time works now that I'm 50 is just not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, and so we we created that game in the uh, fall of ninety eight, ninety nine, something around there. And uh, you know, before I'd said you talked a little bit about like sometimes you have a mechanic and you don't have a setting or whatever, and like that was definitely a game where we're like, oh, we have a mechanic, and then, but it was only like a few heartbeats before we had the setting i think we tried and uh, we didn't actually bring it to the table we were just thinking what kind of setting will we do with this and then horror hit and then we were like oh yeah yeah so let's go back to that point in time though if we could real quick epi so so was it a matter of you just going you know like a jenga tower could be a a a a resolution system was that was that how it was born or yeah so it was uh it was an attempt okay so um the entirety of our hobby is about creative constraint, right? Right. We're, we're like affordances and constraints. You're allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Like uh, fighters can't shoot fireballs. Wizards can. And, and people, well, of course. Yeah. Cause fight, like, no, I mean, there's plenty of anime where fighters shoot fireballs. Sure. Like there's like, this isn't, you know, none of this is written in stone. We've just decided. Right. So we offer these affordances and constraints um, in back then. Oh, so much younger so much more hot-headed uh there was like a very like it was like too many numbers in role-playing games let's make a role-playing game without numbers how do you do that dice have numbers on them let's let's throw dice out well what about jenga and as it turns out we had to do quite a bit of math um to 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 make sure like nobody playing the game has to but you know we you know i i could there's 45 blocks uh or 45 minutes oh wait oh see now i'm gonna prove myself wrong here hold on three blocks to a level right 18 levels right 
four. So no. Wow. So have I forgotten what all this how, is? How many levels? 18? 18, three. So it's going to be 30, 16. 16, 16 levels, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, no, there's 48. There's 48. There's okay. 48 blocks in the tower. 16 levels. Whew. It's close. <laughs> yes. Um, We had to figure out, like, you know, we had to do quite a bit of uh, playing with Jenga to see, like, what how many would you need to pull for it to make a realistic and how do you make that happen? And, yeah. Um, but so, I mean, the original constraint was that like, it was, was like, was hey, no, numbers. Let's, no numbers. Let's see if we could do this. Other. And, um, and I say that, but like our first version of the game had dice in it. We never played with the dice. Like we had a, we had a bigger version of the game that we brought to the table for the first play test and immediately threw out, a lot of it and because, just played because it, it just we knew it wasn't going to work like mm -hmm. like you knew it was the moment you sat at the table it felt bad to do anything that wasn't with dread yeah like, this is this game that like we uh, uh our original game had um i think the questionnaire had like about 100 questions everyone had the same questionnaire and you had about 100 questions and we sat down and immediately everyone was like i'm I'm not going to answer a hundred questions about my character. Right. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Just pick a few. <laughs> sure. and so, uh, and, and that evolved into a game that, that where the GM comes up with the questions. And since dread has been released it, in my own personal experiences evolved to a game where I make that player come up with a question for that player to come up right. with because I, I need, um, uh, but we were, I'm going on a huge tangent here, but like, so th that was, like I said, it was like late, late nineties, yep. early aughts. We were running it at conventions. Um, we, I think in 2000, we had a version of the game that was like eight pages long um, that we, we handed out. If you ever find one, burn it. It is, it is, it is very obnoxious. We were just talking about voice. It, like, it, it's it is like the problem with horror games kind of it's not good <clears throat> um at least that's how i remember it like I, you know. the eight commandments come down <laughs> yeah 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 and uh so so we, we were running at a lot of conventions and we would end up um uh we would take up these convention slots and we wanted to have a unique game for each convention slot, right. which is counterproductive. And I just want to say this to any aspiring game designers out here. If conventions are ever a thing again, um, make it the exact same scenario yes. for every convention slot. Cause you want different people. Like it's great to cultivate a group of people who will go to every single one of your things, but you don't, you then you depend on them reaching new people, uh, which isn't necessarily going to happen. We had a, we had a great loyal, follow it. I don't want to say following. That seems dismissive. Yeah, but like, yeah, people that loved it. Yeah, people that loved it that came into the games. Like when we finally published it and it came out in 2005, uh, somebody bought it and I was there when they bought it because I wasn't even in the booth. Uh, we were actually selling it out of a, like a t-shirt booth that was just agreed to sell it for us or whatever. Yeah. And somebody was like, I, I've been waiting to get this game for like three years, I play it all the time. <laughs> it was just like, well, why are you buying it if you That's play awesome. it all the time? That's awesome. Though. Um, but so, uh, 
What was I saying? What were, what was the point? Well, so I'm going to pause this. here because there's a couple yeah. interesting things that have come up. One, you going out and doing an iteration process via these convention games, yeah. right? Where you just keep putting the game in front of people. And uh, I'm sure you came and help yourself. You're making tweaks and changes. It may not be from Saturday to Sunday, but it could be from the October convention to the December convention, right? Or both are happening. Was there a moment where you made an adjustment? You added something, you took something away, and that was the AD. There was before that happened, there was after that happened. So was there a landmark moment, and it might have been something small you added or took away, where like, mm-hmm. okay, now the game's cooking with gas. Now I found dread. We were fucking around before, and now we're just going to sand a few corners. So, um, well, okay, I'm going to say no, but I have a good moment to share Please. anyways. So like we, the first game of Dread, like I said, it was a group of us. We were just in our kitchen uh, at a kitchen table playing around a candle, which is also dumb. Don't do that with a Jenga tower. Get ton of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we threw out so many of the rules that we weren't using like right away. And we played that game and that game was scintillating. And at the end of that, we knew, we knew Did like, you really? al- almost everything about that game. But, Holy cow. but I, I will say this, like, then we go to these conventions and, and like, we knew that we had to cut down the questionnaire and we ended up settling on 13 because that's a spooky number. And we knew, um, I still had to figure out like how to explain you know, how to run a good horror game. Um, but uh, we knew basically how the game was going. But I will tell you about a time that we did make up a rule on the spot that has made it into the final book. And it's kind of a pitiful rule. And it might be the fastest turnaround from, is this a rule? Yes, it is. And this is uh, somebody was at the tower. I don't even remember the situation, but if, you, if you're familiar with Dread, they're doing something. Something spooky's happening. They're right. doing something. They're pulling on a block, and they can tell, and everyone at the table can tell, this t- the, the moment they let go of this block, this it's tower done. is going down. It's just going down. And uh, they looked me in the eye, and they said, can I sacrifice myself by pushing it over deliberately? And I said, yes, and they did it. And it was that. That was the boom. Like, there, there's the rule. It happened. And so that's how the heroic sacrifice, the blaze of glory for Dread came from. And it was just, yeah, it was just very much like a, like panic. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm going to die. I want to, I want this to mean something. Please let it mean something. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, I think probably at a convention we came up with like where the dead man walking thing, where if the tower falls too early, um, then you you're alive, but at any point the host can take your your life away, and and then we did that because it did go down early in one game. Actually, oftentimes when it went down early in a convention, somebody just ran. That person would just run to the dealer hall and buy the game, which is very satisfying, <laughs> incredibly satisfying. Um, but uh, you know, we did the this dead man walking thing this this first time, and uh. They uh, just watching the other players pull out all the stops to try and keep this character alive that we have explicitly stated. Isn't it amazing? They're just going to die. They're just there's nothing you can do. They're going to die at some point. And they're like, I'm pulling, I'm pulling. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then they the the person playing this just dove right into that and was like, then I am the idiot who always wanders off. I'm the idiot. You know, like, like, why not? 
why not get people to to do and it's just i was like yeah that's great that's that's well, it, you, what you're talking about are constraints again Right. Yeah. You've added a constraint. This person is going to die. And I made yeah. a joke about the 10 candles, but I had a chance at, the, at a campsite with with some friends to play 10 candles for the first time, like out in the woods. Right. Awesome. And and it was amazing to have that constraint that starts that game, which is you got nobody's walking out of this. Yeah. Yeah. This but, is it. But to watch how all of like, you know, me metagaming, Craig thinks about games all the times goes into, I lost myself too, you know, and it happens yeah. with dread as well, where you, yeah, we have these constraints, but we've got this wolf inside of us. That's going to make it mean something. <laughs> that's good. And it's yes. just, it's amazing what happens. And it does. And I love board games. That doesn't happen when you play a board game. Right. I love miniature yeah. gaming doesn't happen when you play miniature game. It's something that's very, very unique about this, which is, which is really, really wonderful. So you, you say, you know, I'm at my kitchen table. We pull out the Jenga tower. We're saying like, mm-hmm. there's a game here. Let's, let's mess around. Right. And you get done with it after throwing away 99% of the rules and, and you <laughs> knew something was special. What, uh, what were some things you saw in other people's faces though. Okay. So you, you've run the game more than anybody on this planet. And is, is there things that you saw that were there mirrors that people put up to the game where you go, where you're like, you know, and we've talked about a couple really like the dead man walking thing, the heroic pushover times where the people playing it informed you as the designer and, and, and ended up what we, what we play today when we go by the book. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, there's so, I might cheat a little on this. You, you're allowed. And then I'll ask the question again, but go ahead. No, 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 no. It's a good question. The thing is, is that like, um, I don't, there, there are things I do in dread now that I don't remember if they're in the book. Oh, interesting. Um, and there have been hacks of dread that I have written, uh, since dread, um, that, uh, incorporate things that I've learned along the ways running dread over the years right. that, uh, that I know aren't in the original dread, but like, you know, so, um, but like, I definitely have some highlight moments of like, uh, I, I had a game in which this is early, early game, um, where it was, I think it was before it was out where it was like a Victorian, um, sewer mystery, you know, one of those, Yeah, <laughs> something was happening in, in, in the sewers of, of Victorian London. And one of the characters, uh, you know, you hand out these questionnaires and you have to offer them something about the character. You don't want to fill in too many blanks because they're going to fill in them. And uh, so you're just like, this is this, this is this. And I was like, oh, we've got a psychic here and a psychic even to the royal family. Right. Mm. And and that that famous. And somebody was like, I want to play that. And I'm like, OK. And I hand that. Psych- and like the first question or maybe the second question, somewhere near the top, it's like, aside from yourself, who else knows you're a fraud? Right. Just just this wonderful like. Like, yeah, you, no, you're not a psychic. No one's like, so this person, when they play, they play everyone else at the table is like, we got a psychic with yeah, us. We're going underground. We're going to go like, and they, at some point they come to like, well, I don't know where to go. I'm a little afraid of going down this. Do, do you know anything? And the psychic looks at me and I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to reveal any secrets. So I'm like, and, and. They, they're like, I was like, do you, do you want to have like a little GM conference? And they're like, yeah. And we go off to the side and they say, I want to pull from the tower. I know I don't have any powers. I just want to pull to convince them that I have powers. 
It was amazing. <laughs> that is amazing that they gave a shit, right? Like, yeah. oh, it's so cool. So we go back and they pull. And I'm like, yeah, you do feel something. And then we go off again to have this little conference. And then they go, and I tell them, like, I'm not, I got nothing for you. You're not psychic. And they're like, I know I'll make something up. And we went back and. Oh, that's great. So, so now this is great. So they, the, the, when they put who else, but you know, you're a fraud. Was it another player that knew they were a fraud or was it the only, you're the only two people at the table that knew. Yeah, I don't remember who knew, but it wasn't one of the other players. So it was just the two of us. You just made it clear to that player that you are a fraud. Oh, God, that's great. That's great. Uh, I think it ended up being like a a brother or something like that. Like some (laughs) character, yeah, due to the background or whatever. But yeah, so like... That definitely like that stuck that stuck with me for I'm sure a decade and a half right like that's that's definitely been um you told the story like it was yesterday that's that's yeah. that's, that's the that's what's amazing about it why horror now I'm mean, I'm saying that oh, yeah. not for obvious reasons but like have you always loved horror do you have a relationship with horror and role playing or was it the obvious or was it yes Craig everything you just said I, it's a little bit of everything I I definitely um I love horror I do uh, I scare easily and i'm okay with that like that's that's a thing that i enjoy uh as a kid i would often like sit alone in a dark room just to scare myself like to get that feeling or whatever um the there were definitely things you know growing up i had like uh, i didn't get much exposure to like horror movies um they were all like they were all from my friend Matt and his older brother, right? <laughs> the like established rated R movie dealer, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but it was often like like the poster or the cover, and that was it. Like I didn't actually see the movie or anything. I was too afraid to or whatever. And um, yeah, it was it was definitely so. I I do I do very much love horror. There was, and it definitely fit the 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 thing but there's also this thing where um are you familiar with chill oh yeah i do yeah, okay. play yeah. so much right. chill yeah okay good and, and so, for those of you playing the home game yes we just dated ourselves yeah yeah <laughs> well okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna place it a little like it, um this would be the mayfair copy of chill so this would be the not the pace setter which is the the box set yeah but the mayfair one which is the black one with the harlequin mask thing on the front yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, the art art in it was just just gorgeous. Like, look up Mayfair Chill Art. I you'll, will. you'll find it. And um, anyways, it, very similar to to the pace setter one, but less uh, to, tonal wise. I think it was attempting to be more serious, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, and I played this in in the nineties uh, um, with uh, with my high school friends and. Uh, I was at my parents' house in the basement when we played it, and we had uh, an old, just a, like, kind of industrial carpet, like, no shag on it whatsoever. Not not a comfortable carpet, but at least it's not concrete, right? Uh, out on the floor, red. Just, just a, like, a dark shade of red. And uh, I took a uh, desk lamps and set them on the ground. And that's how we lit the whole room. <laughs> it was just this red light coming up from below. And we we played this game. Uh, I don't, I think I was like, it was, 
I think it was like my game was deeply influenced by the X-Files, which had just kind of come out and uh, there. But chill has that kind of the society for they keep changing what it stands for, but it's save. You're trying to um, save the world from the unknown. It's got the monster of the week type stuff like X-Files. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember running a game. I do not recall what was going on in the game, but I remember the game being done. And at the end of the night, my friends were leaving the house and they were running to their cards. Oh, like it so was cool. dark out and they were just like, fuck it, I'm running. <laughs> like, I'm just going <laughs> to like, like, I don't care about dignity. This is, you know, and that was there. That was definitely a moment that stuck with me. That was like a like that. That was powerful. Like what, what we were able to do there. Um, I remember, like when I was younger, uh, my friends and I uh, made really really hokey haunted houses for other friends that just like like you had a weekend and you're like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's make a haunted house. And uh, so, um, but leading into dread. So dread comes out and there's before dread is released. Like while we're, while we're writing it, I'm very much responding to horror games at the time because I was having this problem with, um, I, my problem is that Cthulhu has hit points, right? right? Like that there's, there's, it's less scary with hit points. And that was my, at least, I mean, I, I still hold to that, but like that, that's, you know, what that's was going your response, on. right? You say, yeah. you say, I, I'm struggling with this and, and I yeah. want to respond to it. Doesn't mean that call of Cthulhu isn't a great game. People don't love it. And it's, you know, who would know where it'd be without it. That's not anything that you're saying. You're just saying, yeah. I got a problem with hit points. Yeah, exactly. And so, um. All right. So that's what's kind of going on in my head in the the late '90s, early aughts, while we're we're figuring out dread. That's why I have this angry, poetic, you know, like <laughs> eight page. Uh, but uh, I'm also like, okay, I need to, I need to immerse myself in this genre because right. I need if I'm going to. If I'm going to write the definitive text, like, <laughs> listen to me, right? You this never is, stopped being that lit writer, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to do this, I need to know what I'm talking about. And uh, so, again, like, whereas with with swords, I kind of dove back into sword and sorcery before swords came. And I was just yeah. trying to re-experience the genre with um dread i was like i need to i need to get back into like the horror stuff that i really enjoy i need to learn and and do that and expose myself to a lot of the horror that like came about when i was a kid that i wasn't allowed to watch and i was like too afraid to watch yeah. i didn't you know and so like in the, those early days it's just like uh yeah like a lot of there was one uh it's not like, well, and actually, I quite like it as a great movie, uh, Return of the Living Dead. When I was a kid, when that came out, there was a radio ad for it that had the, the a clip from the movie where if you if you're familiar with the movie, you know, the clip I'm talking about where they have one of the dead and she's on this autopsy table, this tray, and they ask her why why they want brains and she's telling them this to ease the pain of being dead. That broke me in a certain way. Like when I was a kid, like I was like, right. Like you, you just sit there thinking, wait, does being is, 
is being dead painful? Like we get this amount of time on, on earth and then, and then it's pain. And the only way to ease it is to eat brains. Like that was a, like a, an existential crisis for, you know, at the age that I was. So I didn't touch that movie for years because of that. When I finally watched it, I was like, you know, it's it's like the. Um, it's like the books we were just talking about. You watch the movie twice. You see it two yeah, different yeah. times, right? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, <clears throat> I, I, at that point, uh, at some point in the early aughts is when I finally saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that remains one of my all time favorite films. It's an incredible just period. movie. Just, yeah. And, uh, and that is not a one to take lightly. Like, like if you, if you are like, oh, I might be afraid then, and I don't want to be afraid, then give it a pass. Give yeah. it a pass. It's okay. Um, Halloween is my movie for that one. Oh yeah. Oh, we just rewatched that one recently and the, there's just so much good. Yeah. <sighs> just so much good, like weird movement from Michael Myers, like where he, oh, it's great. It just creeps you out. Like the way he's like kind of just investigating what it's like to kill people. And you're he just really like, is. And I've told my wife this, my, cause so my poor, my poor, poor wife, that phrase you'll hear a lot from me, my poor, poor yeah, wife. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I make her sit through some of these movies. I make her watch Jaws. I make her watch, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a uh, Halloween. I make her watch Casablanca. I make her watch these movies, Godfather. And for her, she's six years younger than me. She was not the same cinemaphile that I was. Right. Mm-hmm. So she just didn't watch these movies. Um, luckily she's 10 times smarter than me, but um, <laughs> like it's some of them doesn't don't, don't land. Yeah. And I have to, and, and, but I'm lucky because I can say to her, I'm like, yeah, but honey, there was nothing before Casablanca, right? So the reason right. that Casablanca seems like, well, okay, is because everything is after Casablanca. Same thing yeah, with yeah. Halloween, right? Like it, it like, and I I do like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there's no Texas Chainsaw Massacre without Halloween, you know? And and that's important to understand that. So I just completely derailed what you were saying. So it's Texas. No, no, no. Uh, it reminds me because I didn't see Casablanca until I was an adult. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's where all of that comes exactly. from. It's like, yeah, that's that was like, oh, Han Solo. <laughs> exactly. Like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking about your love of horror, finding Texas, right. t- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's you. It's one of your all time favorites. Yes. So I'm basically, I was just like going down a little memory lane of enjoying horror here. Yeah. But that's basically it. Like I, I really, I enjoy. Have you found any new horror that you're really liking? That's oh, I'm struggling yeah. with that, but I've found some ones that I'm just like giddy over. So what There's, are some newer stuff that you loved? So uh, the most recent thing that kind of got me was, and this is not in the like, Ooh, uh, well, whatever. Like, so the other one thing about horror as a genre is that it is incredibly broad. It's again, like sword and sorcery, yes. it can dip into anything. You'll find it overlapping in a lot of things. Um, the, uh, God, what was the name of it? Um, wait, it's coming to me. It's, uh, something God, mad God. I think it's mad God. I mean, yes. Uh, came out last year. Oh my God. I haven't it seen is. That. Uh, Phil Tippett, who is a um animator, it, it's almost done entirely. Like I have now gone. There we go. Sorry, I was looking for the tab in which this existed. Um, it, it's stop motion or almost entirely stop motion. No kidding. And and it is 
there's not like a straightforward narrative. It is just horrifying scene after horrifying scene, but it pulls in into a narrative. And like it's it's a, it's an experience that if you're a horror fan, I recommend it. If you're not if you're like, I don't know what horror is about, like I'd like to experience horror. Don't maybe not start there. Maybe right, not like, right. you know, like um, uh, <clears throat> trying to think of like the stuff in most recent memory. This is already still quite well. I mean, um, this is this is still kind of old, but Midsummer uh, was like a big one. Yeah. Midsummer, I gotta say, Midsummer was offered an a, an amazing moment for me. Where uh, Endgame, right? Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. was out. I was visiting my brother and his kids. Uh, they were I don't know how old they were. They were young, right? And uh, we were going to an Alamo draft house movie theater uh, to get some food and to watch Endgame, And I don't think I'd seen it yet, uh, but they had, or uh, their oldest had got it. the, the youngest had not because he was a little scared because of the way the previous movie ended. Right. Fair. Uh, so they, so my brother and his oldest went to see Endgame. They came back, they reported, you can see this. You won't be scared. You're like, this is, you you know, this is a good one for you to watch. So, and they wanted to go with me because they know that I'm, uh, I got these comic books. And so, uh, when I came out to visit, we decided to go. And so we're in this theater and like, there's a couple of things that happened in this. They're great. Like my, his oldest, like couldn't every time the youngest was getting scared, the oldest would be like, don't worry. And then tells them what's about to happen in like, they give you this whole warning at the beginning about like, we will kick you out for spoilers. And I'm just like, shut up, shut up. He's, he's saving his brother Epi. Yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> but the, there was this great moment where we're sitting there and there's trailers and they're doing trailers and they do a trailer for Midsommar. And, uh, That's pretty intense for an end game. What? Right. And, as it's going along, like it's it's starting off like all bright, flowery, and and immediately, like I didn't know anything about the movie. This is the first time I've seen the trailer, and I could feel it. You saw like it in the back of my head. I'm like, oh no, this is <laughs> this is this is straight. This is some folk horror that's coming down the line now. I could just smell it, like. And so I'm sitting there with my younger nephews, and they're just. They're getting quieter and quieter, and as this thing's going on, and the trailer's getting more and more and more terrifying. So we get to the end of the trailer, like there's no jump scare or anything. Right. I don't think there is, but they're like it just leaves you um, very disturbed, yeah. which is the the sensation that you're supposed to have. And I just to just I knew I had to do something to break the spell yeah. that I had on them. So I just turned to them. And I said, I'm going to watch the fuck out of that film. <laughs> Crazy Uncle Uppy. <laughs> Just, and that was it. Word. That's all it took. I was like. Oh, that's a great story, man. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Snapped him right out of it. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Let's go. <laughs> well, let's stay uh, along this same thing. Um, one thing that I love doing on the show to wrap things up is um, we spend so much time talking about what you make. Um, but it's mm-hmm. also very interesting. I'm finding out to my listeners what you what you consume. So, yeah. you know, we've talked talked about a couple horror films, but I, I want to know what has gotten its hooks into you recently and hasn't let go. So is there a show that you 
you have binged watched and couldn't stop watching or a book or a book series you couldn't put down or a video game that just stole time from you recently like what 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 did to you what you hope your stuff does to other people oh that's a good question um i oh i'm i'm gonna put uh the word out there for primal are you familiar with primal uh, you're talking about primal quest or primal the cartoon primal the cartoon it's it is unbelievable it's why i got primal quest <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah it, um, it's it's yeah. life-changing yeah, it's um. I, now I'm only like, as you you know, you said I binge. I have not binge. I'm we're at this house. We're taking our time with it because we're afraid to binge it. But that that show. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I was a huge fan of Samurai Jack. I, um, Dexter I, was very good. He also did the Dexter's Laboratory too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just good stuff. And uh, somebody on Twitter, I do not recall who. Otherwise, I would I get whoever you are. Thank you. They were like primal. Epi, I think you're going to like this. And uh, we watched the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it, that first episode, it, it's it's good, but it's hard. It is. It, it's. I had to stop. It, I took yeah. like two days off. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like. Um, and uh, so like I'm going to I'm going to say, yes, this I'm really enjoying this. However, I'm going to put some. Um, as best as I could, content warnings here yes. where there th- people die, yeah, children die, animals you fall in love with die, and and it, it is brutal. And I, I, that is not the point. It that's where I was headed, exactly right. So yeah. it's, it's not doing it for the sake of killing children and animals you love. There, it is, it is some of the most powerful storytelling I've seen in a very long time, and it's done with so little. Yeah, I mean, like the the two main characters are uh, they're vocal, but they don't have words, they and they're unable to communicate that way. And uh, yeah, and and if you're a fan of sword and sorcery, like, uh, it. it there's sorcery in the first season. Yeah. No swords yet. Spears. You get spears with stones. Um, yeah. No, it is. And then gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. Like the the animation style is uh, second season. The, the uh, Not to spoil anything. I don't think this spoils anything. But just them going along the ocean. Just an amazing sequence to just sit and watch happen. Uh, uh, yeah. And I think if you're, I, I mean, I, I, I don't write books. I don't, I don't create games, but I run games. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I walked away and it really, it, it impacted how I create tension at the table because his ability to create tension yeah, it, without, without like leaning hard and like, it wasn't just the music. It wasn't just the visual. It was, it was, he took his time. He was okay. As you're watching that, he leaves you there longer mm-hmm. than you want to stay there and he keeps going with it and and you know doesn't feel doesn't rush to the resolve and stuff so yeah yeah you and i are on the same page i yeah, mean yeah. he is like it, it, I, I always mispronounce his name gives with a t but just a, a brilliant storyteller not even getting into his talent as an animator um all right one more oh one more okay um hmm, let me think here and it could I be like when I, I say recently, it could be five years ago, right? Because this stuff, yeah, yeah. these tend to be Everything. landmark moments, right? Yeah. Well, I will say about a role playing game that I'm currently just pretty excited and obsessing over, uh, which is one that I've had for a while and I've played a while back. 
um, is uh, Urban Jungle. Ooh. So Urban Jungle is put out by Sanguine Games. Sanguine is a uh, they. I don't know how far back they go to the aughts. I, um, I th- I'm not familiar with any of this. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So they're um, almost all, if not all, of their games are anthropomorphic, right? So okay. they're serving a very particular audience. Um, they did a the the. Jade Claw, Iron Claw, these are early games of theirs. They did, they got the Usagi Yojimbo license and they did two versions of the Usagi Yojimbo game. The first one they did uh, is one of my all time favorite games. Like it's this, it's, it's hard to explain. So it's a tabletop role playing game. (laughs) It is, uh, um, I I would describe it as a little chunky, right? Like if if you, uh, my games, tend not to have that chunk, but I do like the chunk. Um, and uh, it, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with Usagi Yojimbo, it's a comic about a rabbit samurai. It does samurai combat in the Kurosawa style in a way that is just with this very, I don't want to say traditional, but almost traditional style. So, okay, let me just give you a little, we can edit this out. It doesn't matter, but let me just give you a little. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm here for it. So, Let's go. So, um, the, you have, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how Usagi works. I don't have to go into the exact bits of it, but you have these four mind, body, will, and speed, I think just four stats. And you have a die size in each one of them from D4 okay. to D12, right? So D4, D6, D8, D10, D12. And then you have, um, uh, your, you probably have a die in your species and you have a, which applies to certain things. And you have a die in your career, which applies. and there's a set of like so many skills and like your career has three skills. Your species has three. I don't know if I have the right number of them, but like, sure. Uh, so you include those dice whenever you're rolling those skills and then you can get dice for the skills specifically. So you're rolling a bunch of dice and you're trying to see how many of them beat a certain number. And uh, when you're fighting someone, you're rolling dice to beat their highest die and they're rolling dice to beat your highest. Got die, it. Right. Like, so, and the number you beat them by is, the uh, number of successes that you can spend on things or whatever. Now that's just general background. What goes on in the combat in this game that I love is uh, well, first of all, you can, if someone's attacking you, you can dodge uh, or you can try to parry. If you have a weapon that allows for that, or you can counter attack. If you have a weapon, most weapons allow for that, but you have to be like skilled in it or something like that. All right. So right away, if you're going to attack someone, the fact that they can roll the same dice and whoever gets the highest one does something, you're going to think about it. You're going to be like a little, "Mm, I'm not sure. Now, there's that. Number two, the number of successes you get, you unlock these special things from the, um, the weapons and they're based on the weapons. So it has this juicy, juicy set of pages that are like the Kasurigama does this. And, you know, like it's exactly what you want from like a list of a bunch of different weapons. Yeah. Like I want the, the Katana and the Nodachi to be like, they're both big honking swords, but I want one of them to be different. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and one of my favorite bits about that is that, uh, you have the Boken, you know, which is the wooden sword, just the, the like practice sword or whatever that doesn't do a whole lot of damage. And you have the katana. But if you 
both, if you get a lot of successes on both of them, the Boken can like in the hands of a, of a master, because you, you, a master gets a lot of those successes can do exactly as much damage as the Katana, which is, oh, Amazing. that's great. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing, like, that's all just like damage or whatever. <clears throat> they have this thing like focus where if you don't attack that round, you get this focus coin, uh, this, this thing that you can spend to interrupt somebody doing something else. Oh, nice. And if you, if you don't have to spend it before your next round, you can then spend it that round to do that much more damage. What this does in the game when I when I've run it is just there's just this point in the beginning. Okay, I'll tell you a combat that actually happened with yeah. all the rolling and everything like that. Um, Emily was in it. She was playing this dog who used to be a general who uh, like a, uh, is no longer and is just kind of like going around trying not to be. And all he has is a war fan. Uh, we have a goat that's just a monster, but nobody knows it. Uh, like he he just he has some abilities where like the more you cut him down, the, the just the more he just keeps going. Uh, and then we have this giant sumo wrestling panda who just wants to play a game of go. That's all he wants. And they run into this, uh, the, these ruffians that are, are messing with some peasants. These are Ronin that are like messing with some peasants or whatever. And they step up to them. And the first round they go, Emily's character takes focus. And then one of the, uh, uh, ruffians, because she has focus, she can use it to interrupt someone. One of the ruffians goes to draw a sword, and she just puts her war fan right on the sword. Like, like, I, it makes the roll, you know, stops it, and just at that moment, everyone's like, "What's happening?" And then someone else, like, I, I'm like, "Well, the Ronin aren't going to give up that quick." And then one of the other ones goes to grab for his sword, and the sumo wrestler who doesn't just pulls the sword out and throws it to his friend, who you know doesn't want to spend the turn drawing a sword so now has one oh and then they were God. like can we buy you a beer <laughs> like can we get you something to drink like yes we're done we're done with this fight this fight is over oh, like no blood story. had to be shed so this this the system uh the usagi that usagi system i love it like yeah. i've had many really uh really fun games with it um and i uh they recently uh i say recently i mean like 10 years ago I'm old. I, I shouldn't say old about that. Most people remember 10 years ago. Um, yeah, but, uh, but t- 10 years, like we, it feels, we know like mathematically it's 10 years ago, but if you're like me, it doesn't like you go, oh shit, yeah. that was 10 years ago. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought it was Thursday. <laughs> I don't see the copyright date on this, so that doesn't help me at all. Anyways. Um, Name of the game. Oh, Urban Jungle. Right. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, nice, I can see that. Cover. I'm looking at the cover now. You got the, oh, geez, that's beautiful art, right? So it's got yeah. again. We've got anthropomorphic. You know, we got a fox and looks like what 1920s, 1930s. Yeah, so it's set in the 30, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Whenever somewhere in there that you want to do it, um, and it's you know in the big city, and there's a bunch of fake big, big cities that are like this one's Chicago and this right. one's L.A. and this one's. Uh, New Orleans and that kind of thing. Um, you can play, you know, gangsters. The one we did was like set in, in in their version of Hollywood. And one of the characters was like a like a she was a movie star that has gone past her prime. And the whole thing was about like a, a estate sale that she had to try and save the rest of her house. And then somebody bought a, a reel 
that turned out to be like a like a blue film oh. that someone else had made and, and like everyone's like trying to get it and the mob are involved and it's oh it was great but so this one takes that same thing and it goes a little further because it's it, it um in this one you when you go to i'm just going to explain the combat system sorry about this that's okay um, when you, when you take damage in this uh you don't have hit points what what it is is there's you take a number of points of damage and you just have to reduce that to zero. If you don't, you're out. And oh, okay. you do that by rolling um, some, like, everyone has bodies, so you roll your body die. If it beats a three, you can drop that by one. Some people have the endurance skill. You can roll those and drop that, whatever. So that, that helps to bring it down. And then you have soaks. And soaks are these abilities that you get from your species or your career or your type. And uh, they drop the damage by a set amount. You don't have to roll, set amount. And then it, you have to do something to recover them. And the soaks are just kind of brilliant because they're like, uh, the clearest example of them is the distress soak, which is it'll drop four points of damage, which is amazing. I think it's the highest any of them does. Uh, and then what happens is all of your allies who can hear you are rallied because oh, so cool. you're in trouble. So you play like we had a we had someone who was playing this like plucky young news reporter and he's like, yeah, I'm going to. And so you get these from your type, which is um, I'm just going to. Oh, you son of a bitch. I'm going to buy this game. OK, types like. Angel, that's I think what that reporter was gets the distress. So because it's just someone that everyone likes wide eyed and innocent. There's the boss. There's the broken. There's. uh yeah, the broken gets a frenzy soak, which is um I love this idea so much. The frenzy soak is you you drop Oh, the broken's great. Okay. So, let me just tell you, there's just these two gifts that the broken get. I mean, they all get two gifts, but like the broken gets the non-combatant gift, which says as long as you're not attacking anyone, you can get a bonus d12 to dodging, right? <laughs> to stay out of the way. You're yeah. non-combatant as long as you don't the moment you attack someone, you lose that until the next day or it's been 24 hours of peace or, you know, whatever. I don't remember the exact thing, but like you lose it for quite a while. Then they have the frenzy soak, which says every time you take damage, you can stop two. And then the frenzy soak is used up until you hit someone. Oh, so, so you have cool. this one gift that's like, as long as you're not hitting anyone, yeah. you're good. You could dodge or whatever. But as soon as you, you need to start hitting someone. You just have to keep hitting them. That's and so I was just cool. like this character that's just broken, right? Like yep. this, that, that just like, it, um, what is it? What's the the Vigo Morton said? The history of violence, yes. right? Like that character, right? Like yep. that, like they all oh, they brought me back in. <laughs> I can't stop. It's great, and so this game is just filled with that little like. So it's all built around that um, that sort of classic structure of a role playing game. Uh, it's got its own way of doing all of it, which right. is all very smooth. And I quite like it, like in, 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 uh, in how it does it, but it's these kernels, these little bits yes. where they're like, here's a great place to put this thing to like, you know, the, the fact that this non-combatant can go around dodging and you're like, okay, but you're dodging, you're not doing anything on that. No, 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 no. This <laughs> game has like, you can rally your, or your allies. You do a ton of things in combat that are just as, fruitful or exciting as as that and it's just oh 
It's so cool. And it sounds like one of those games and I, I've had this conversation many times and I'm a firm believer that there are just some of those games where you can read it and go, yeah, okay, I'm digging this. It's making sense mm-hmm. to me, but you got to sit at the table because yeah. it sounds like, cause there's these little kernels, like that's a great analogy. These little kernels that you read and go, okay, but until you see them planted, until you see other people yeah. watering them, you don't realize what the hell is really right. going on. Right. right? You got to see it in action. And then the payoff is just, yeah. And the, yeah, so I, I'm I'm a big fan of Sanguine Games. They've they've made quite a few games out there that I very much enjoy. Some of which uh, that do you sit as I've read them, I appreciate them from having read them, but I've not had a chance to play them and may never get a chance yep. to play them. That's fine. Yeah, but um, the the ones like there's a, a certain set of them where I'm like the uh, like I've played Urban Jungle several times. I've played Usagi Ojimbo. I guess if they begin with a U. They're good. <laughs> no, they're all good. But like, like a myriad song is another one, which is their space one, uh, which is been, uh, well, anyways, the, the thing that the reason why urban jungle has come back up into my purview is that recently I was just, uh, every so often I, I miss conventions, uh, yeah. like that feeling of like finding something in the dealer hall. And so I go to one of the, the, at this point at this, uh, in this particular time, it was on, I was on drive through, and I was kind of scrolling through drive through and I saw that they had released two supplements for this that I did not know about. And I was like, oh, like, like I had forgot. Like it's not that I've forgotten the game. It's yeah. just, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't on my horizon. And now it's very much on my horizon. Oh, that's uh, fun. They, they've got like a retro sci-fi one with, with like atomic ray guns and aliens from each of the planets of our solar system. Oh, and they've got cool. a... Uh, supernatural one which you have to do if you like a cult horror i think is what it's called or whatever but so uh this is the unsolicited recommendation i'm gonna throw back at you have you have you come across uh spencer campbell's slayers yet no so jot it down and this will be the test of whether craig understood this last two hours i have a sneaky (laughs) suspicion you're gonna read this game and you and it's you're gonna go ooh. So uh, we'll we'll see how much of a similar I am coming back to you. Um, I'm a yeah, bit, I'm also a big show for that. Spencer. I think Spencer is, is is a very interesting designer and is doing some different type of stuff. But it's it's one of the best um, the best implementations of asymmetrical classes I've seen. But the the mechanics each class has it's literally its own mechanics. The, every character every class is playing a different game. Oh, um, neat. Yeah. And I think that you'll dig it. I think you'll dig yeah. it. Um, and it's worth, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you pay on uh, drive through for, for the PDF, I'll reimburse you if you hate it. <laughs> oh no, don't worry about that. <laughs> but uh, that's back. Well, listen, um, there is a ton of really cool things to do on a Tuesday night, including playing some of the games we talked about, <laughs> watching some of the movies we talked about, but you wasted it, uh, spending the time on my shitty little podcast. Oh, it was a delight. I really it appreciate it. It was a real pleasure. Happy. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed myself. I'm glad. And uh, well, he's already committed to coming back after the uh, yes. after the end credits. You'll hear <laughs> the break. But um, I want everybody who's listening. I mean, you've made it. This was a long episode, two and a half hours long. <laughs> and it was worth every single minute. And I appreciate you listening. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor 
the links are in the show notes. Take care, floorheads. Uh, that was Excellent. great, my friend. Absolutely. Excellent. That's the show, dude. You nailed it. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Um, so I arbitrarily put these in order. Do you think this is the right order? Swords, Dread, Wolf Spell, or? I think, I mean, I actually kind of like the order because it's not chronological for their, okay. their, um, uh, and they don't need to be in chronological order. Yeah, let's, I'd say let's do that order. Okay, great. Um, and I, yeah. I also think we can get into Words Without Master as part of the Swords Without Master and just yeah. kind of tie that in because I think that's really, really interesting. Okay, yeah. good. That um, will almost invariably happen naturally. I good. <laughs> good. And, and just to reiterate, you know, the stuff I'm going to ask you is really, I mean, we're definitely going to learn what it is, right? Mm-hmm. But I really want to learn why it is i want to learn how it became right it's 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 all about the process here so but don't don't worry we'll talk about why everybody should be buying the goddamn game so don't worry that that, that comes out of it too (laughs) so all right i'll bring us back Uh, oh hey are you still here wow um well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to Patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.